Thank you very much. Morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Friday. Thank goodness for that. I'm going to go and have a doze. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm working. That's, then I'll have a doze. I'll fit a doze in somewhere. Don't worry. Rest assured, there will be a doze at some point in my life uh, in the next 30 years. Uh, lots coming up this morning, including Hertfordshire police are tracking a couple who abducted their own baby from foster care. A Bedfordshire mum is demanding answers after her daughter's notes were found in a rented flat. And when is a pavement not a pavement? Well, the Milton Keynes Council says so, apparently. Don't panic. We've sent Justin Dealey to investigate. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or lots of phone calls this week. We'll have more of those, please. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, detectives in Hertfordshire have launched an investigation into the abduction of a baby by its own parents. The baby was in the care of social services when it was taken. Its father managed to lock up its foster carer and social worker in the course of a supervised contact session before taking it out of the country. Well, Catherine Boyle has more on this. What do we know, Catherine? Well, we are limited to is what we can say is there's an injunction in place planning the identification of the child or its parents. What we can say is that the child was taken out of the country. It's believed to be somewhere in southern Europe. The council has confirmed that the father somehow managed to lock up both the foster carer and the social worker, as you said there in the introduction, in the course of a supervised contact session. It's thought he then took the baby to Stansted Airport, where he met the child's mother, who had been uh, apparently too ill to attend the session. Hertfordshire Police are now trying to work to ensure the safe return of the child to the UK. Um, what do we know and what can we say about the child? Well, as I said, there is an injunction in place, so we are forbidden from releasing right. certain details, but we do know that the local authority has serious concerns. And what are the police and the council saying? Hertfordshire Police say, and this is a statement, we are conducting a full and thorough investigation and are working closely with the relevant authorities in the interests of the child involved. And a spokesman for the local authority said, while we cannot comment on individual cases, it's always the court that makes decisions about what contact children can have with their parents when they're in care. By law, the local authority has to abide by those decisions. Now, obviously, there'll be serious questions about how this child was taken from the care of social services and we'll be discussing this later and very generally in the programme. Catherine, thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, lots to talk about this morning. One thing I thought that we could talk about, I say we thought that we could talk about it, Kelly Betts came up with it, which was is surprising, is we've been mentioning the little game we've been playing at work where we, we burst out and try and surprise and scare each other and it, it's now got... It's got quite nasty. Uh, everyone is terrified to enter the building, and we've all taken up um, bizarre ways of travelling around the building. I extend my arm, holding my keys, and I shake them, and sometimes I throw them into a room to, to, to detract someone. It is like a, it's like in those films where they have robot killers. If you throw something in there, the robot will shoot the keys, which means I can duck. Anyway, okay, that's what I'm doing. Okay, you know that doing. doesn't work with keys. Uh, Kelly, what's your technique? I creep around the corner that I think they're going to be, and yeah. then I go, rah! And I had to follow Kelly down the stairs. She did the raft five times, <laughs> expecting Catherine Boyle to do it. Catherine has no technique. She's just I, uh, well. I do have a special technique, didn't I? Well, what was your you spe- don't know what I'm doing. I've taken advice from the highest level. Oh, <laughs> Catherine has spoken to a member. This is true. An no, no, ex- no, no, no. An ex special uh, forces. Ex SAS, who's giving you uh, some top tips. Can you give us? Maybe give us two of the top tips. This is genuinely from someone in the SAS. This is how serious He's this is. He's not in it anymore. All right, calm down. I'm not going to ruin his anonymity. <laughs> Don't what? forecast your itinerary. Right. 
But Don't we... forecast your route. Why are you speaking like that? Because it's an order. Okay, right. Alter your daily routine. Yeah. Setting patterns kills. Maybe not on a radio station, though. Well. Avoid likely hiding places. Reconnoitre alternative routes and counter ambush positions. Okay. And you've been doing Sussed. all of that? Lay a trap by forecasting a bogus activity. You don't know whether I've done that. Well, the thing is, though, you'll, you have to... Lay in wait in your pre-planned position with okay. two cans of silly string. Okay. I think he's being a bit... Failing all that, kick him in the... Uh, and he won't do it again. Oh, you're not going anywhere near my... <coughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, by the way, we must all gang up together and get, get, get Justin. That's the most fun, is scaring him. But we were thinking this morning, dear listener, what games do you play at work, please? What little tricks... Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have as much fun as we do here at BBC Three Counties Radio. Hard to believe, but possible. What do you get up to at work to relieve the boredom and the monotony of our dull and dreary lives? Under my skin... There we go. Bit of Frank Sinatra. So this jockey has won 4,000 races. 4,000 races. I don't even know the jockey's name. There we go. Oh, A.P. A. McCoy. Well, first of all, we don't know his first or middle name. You know, A.P. I'm always suspicious of people who use initials. A.P. McCoy, the front page of the Times, lots of other newspapers, celebrates becoming the first national hunt jockey to ride 4,000 winners yesterday. Uh, and there's a picture of him with his family. Uh, hands up anybody, anybody who cares... Guys, guys, there was a huge thing on PM on Radio 4 last night where they had uh, Claire Balding on. Oh, my goodness. We want to do a story about sports. Who can we get on? Well, we could... Ah, I know. Let's get Claire Balding on. Yeah, OK, great. Great idea. Great idea. Catherine? She knows about racing. Yeah, I know, but do you not think she's a little bit overused? Well, when it comes to racing, she's a specialist, though. What about John McCrick? Ah, sexist. Oh, hang on. Shh, sexist and ageist. Yeah. What happened to that court case? Uh, I think it's still ongoing. Is it? Good yeah. for him. Good for him. So, uh, uh, this guy won 4,000 races, and, and the whole world is kind of like, so what? A tiny guy can ride a horse. Now, uh, the, the horse racing, is, is, as we know, is, is uh, a, a strange art that's mired in controversy. Well, is, is anybody interested in horse racing at all? No, I, I, can't, I can't see what the point of it is. Do you know what I don't understand? Go on. Why the jockey gets all the props? He's not doing the running, is he? It's the horse. He's doing the sitting. So what are the names the of these whipping. horses that did the winning of the race? I want to know the, uh, the several thousand horses there must have been. You make an excellent point. All he does is sit and whip. That's it. Sit stay and whip. on. I, I, I do that. Somet- I try and do that sometimes. Uh, it, I, I don't get it. If anyone, can get, if anyone can sell horse racing to me, oh wait, 459, 455, 505, and tell me why this A.P. McCoy is such a, a, an interesting character. You know, I kind of went along with Bradley Wiggins. I kind of went along with um, some of the, the Olympic stars. I kind of went along with Duncan Goodhue. What? But a, a tiny jockey? I'm not going along with that. Horse racing is not a sport. It most definitely... Sitting... And riding is not a sport in the slightest. There's nothing to it. If you if you were vaguely moved by a tiny man winning a horse race, could you give me a call and tell me why? I'm sure he's a very nice chap. He sounded lovely on the radio last night. Sounded very humble. Good for, good for him. Well done. But why this fool are we about it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five horse racing. It's simply not a sport. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Where would the... Wouldn't the world be a darker place if the Who had never existed? Thank you, though. 
Hey, here's a question. Where are your medical notes? I'm guessing that mine are stored away somewhere in a computer and the physical version are locked up in a filing cabinet in my doctor's office somewhere. That's where I'd like to think. Well, that's what Sam from Woburn thought too. Until she got a letter from Milton Keynes Hospital telling her that her daughter's medical notes had been found somewhere slightly less secure in a rented flat. Well, Sam joins me now. Good morning, Sam. Hi, good morning. Sam, what happened? Um, I basically received a letter, recorded delivery, uh, out of the blue last week, stating my daughter's records had been found in um, a flat, as you said, um, and that there were details to do with her, um, and obviously the address and everything of where we live on each each note. Um, And apparently a locum doctor who had been employed had taken them home, um, along with details of five other trusts they've taken information from those hospitals as well um so obviously i was gutted i didn't know why my little girl's details were in this place and you know it just left too many questions for me i I bet it did so how old is your daughter she's 18 months 18 months so she's she's a young baby and do you know you say there were notes from five other trusts do you know how many other patients notes were there i don't know i don't um I think, I can't think of any logical reason why this doctor would take notes home, um, especially being a locum. Mm. He worked in the, in the paediatric ward, so I presume he's a paediatric doctor and he has the notes from other children as well, because um, if that's his specialism, that's where he would have been working, surely. So he must have kept all these children's notes in his flat for some bizarre reason. And also, it, you know, how, how did they come about finding them? Was he, was he sacked and they went and searched? Or I, I just don't know. It's, it's a bit bizarre. What, when you opened that letter and you read it, what, what was going through your mind? I, I got to reread it. I didn't quite believe it at the beginning. <laughs> you know, we have, um, she's under hospital care. So, you know, we, we do get quite a few letters. So I had to reread it several times. And I felt sick. I, I just, I thought, who the, who the blooming heck is this guy? Um, who they've employed, who they've now said they won't employ again. And I doubt he'll be employed in, in the UK again. Um, so it's, it's just left me with, with too many questions as to who this, this guy was. And so you received this letter last week. Yeah. Uh, have you had any further contact with the hospital? I haven't. I'm, I'm, putting, um, I'm putting a letter together. Um, it's... It's, um, I've got, I have, do have a number to call, but I'd rather everything be in, in writing. Right, okay. Um, but I do, I do find that just sending a letter out of the blue isn't actually good enough, really. Um, you know, there's, if there were more patients, maybe they should have called the meeting and just let parents voice their concerns about what's gone on. Um, I'd already had problems with Milton Keynes Hospital because they're exceptionally short-staffed in the children's ward due to Bedford closing. Um, and the day she was there, she only had, there were only two staff on and she missed two vital doses of antibiotics. Um, and they kept apologising, they were busy. Sam, so, sorry, how did, you, how did she miss two doses of antibiotics? They were too busy. And the, the nurse openly told me that she was, they were too busy. They had a very poorly baby on the ward. So I was up at 4am with her, getting a cannula put in, and getting that put in a baby is horrendous. Oh, it's, I've, I've done it to my boys. It's a horrible thing. It's, yeah, it's, it is. It's but hard then, work. For them, it's at 10 o'clock to be too busy to give her that vital dose of antibiotics. She'd had a temperature of over 40, so she was very poorly for three consecutive days. So she was a poorly little baby, so they missed that one, and then um, they missed the next one as well. 
So you're having problems. You've had problems with the hospital already, and this must have just been the, 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 the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, really. Um, my, my first thought is, have they cut corners getting this guy in because they're short-staffed and they're so busy? So have they, have they missed some checking or something? Um, because he's obviously been around a lot and worked at different trusts. So there's obviously some kind of issue with this guy. Um, he's obviously moving all over the place. Um, and keeping notes. Um, so my concern is they've cut corners and perhaps they've not done the checking that maybe they should have done. In the letter they sent you, was there an apology in there? Um, let me see. I don't think there was as such. Um, it, uh, it just obviously states the facts in there and, and tried to reassure me that these records Nothing would have happened to them, but they don't know that. Well, no, 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 nothing would have happened to them if they were found in a, in a rented property. Then something could have happened to them, well, of course. And you know why? I just don't get why somebody would keep children's records in their flat. There's just no reason for staff members to take anything home anyway as a doctor. Um, but let alone a, just a locum doctor who's in there covering, taking all these notes out. Sam, what would you like to see happen? Um, I would like all the parents who are involved um, to be given the facts about this guy. Um, it's, you know, their investigations, I, w- I would like everybody to have the findings of them. They are investigating him um, and trying to establish why he took the records out. So, you know, that's, that's the answers. And also, you know, I want to know how, if there were problems with this guy, um, how come he missed all the checks? Mm. And how is your little girl now, Sam? Is she, is she improving? Much better, yes. Excellent. We, to, we ended up at John Radcliffe, and I have to say, it is exemplary there. Well, I'm, I'm glad that she's on the mend. They're always a worry when they're that age. Sam, yes, I appreciate yes. your time this morning. Thank you very much. Well, we tried to talk to Milton Keynes Hospital. Uh, they refused to talk to us, but they did admit an investigation into a data protection breach involving several NHS trusts is underway. I guess a couple of things here. Uh, have you received one of these letters from Milton Keynes Hospital saying, just to let you know, your records or your, your children's records have been found in a, in a rented flat? Don't worry, nothing's happened. Have you received one of those letters? 08459 455 555. And if you're a doctor, I know this is a long shot, what could be the possible reason for taking patients' notes home? Could there be a reason, or does this just sound ridiculous to you? Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. Long shot, I know, or maybe it's not, we don't know how many there are. Have you received a letter from Milton Keynes Hospital telling you that yours or your children's uh, medical records have been found in an abandoned flat? Uh, do give me a call and let me know. And if you're involved in medicine, like a doctor or something, what could be the possible reason for a doctor taking patients' notes home? BBC Three Counties Radio News and Sport. I'll have a full bulletin at seven. Barry. Good morning. Do, do, you, do you? Are you excited by this um, AP chap winning 4,000 horse races? Yeah, I think it's great, actually. Yeah. Why? Ah. Because no, because it's, it's quite interesting, and mm-hmm. he's been he's one of the you know the best jockeys around. So yeah. I think it's a well, it's, it's a milestone four thousand. But why, but why is it a milestone? Obviously, he is one of the best, as he's won yeah. four thousand. But it's just it, well, let, let's be honest. Let's speak mano a mano. Horse racing is not a sport, is it? I, I think it is a sport, but I can see why people would say it's not a sport. Let's, let's, uh, Barry, thank you very much. Let's put it out to the listener. 08459 455 555. Horse racing, it's simply not a sport, is it? 
across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Catherine Boyle. Yeah. It's not a sport, is it? Um... Well, I tend to think that sport involves sweat. Now, in the case of horse racing, the person sweating... Here's a question. Is it more the horse? The do jockey sweat? It's quite scary, do I imagine. Horses, do horses sweat? Do they? I don't know. They do. Where? They sweat all over. Under their armpits? They haven't got arms. No, not on their armpits. On their back, on their Why are you flanks? touching your flanks? Yes. Nice flanks. I'm, de- <laughs> I'm demonstrating where I'd sweat if I was a horse. Who'd run? Catherine Boyle is currently rubbing her flanks. You can indicate. see the steam rising from them. On That's a from their morning. manure. No, 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 no. It's from their bodies. Okay. Well, the, the, oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. There'll be nobody listening to this who will be able to defend um, horse racing as a sport. We'll speak to Justin, but he, I bet he'll, he'll think it's not a sport, and he knows sports. He's a man. I bet he refers to it as the GGs. <laughs> of course he will. <laughs> I dig a pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats. And now in the urinal section. We're going home. Are you serious? Yeah. You better believe it. Another milkman's whistle. Goodbye. It's a lovely milkman's whistle. It's, it's the tongue. It's all to do with the tongue. Yeah, are you wiggling it about there? I have a very good whistle. Very I can proud hear a bit of uh, uh, behind it, though. What do it again. Uh, who can, <laughs> hands up, who can whistle and hum at the same time? Go on. <laughs> oh, you're a weirdo. No, not weird. I saw that... So I saw... <laughs> Sorry? It's embarrassing. I saw some kids <laughs> doing it on Blue Peter a while ago, years ago, when I was about six, and I went, oh, I really want to do that, and I taught myself how to do it. I've wasted I hope my it's on life. Your CV. I've wasted my life. <laughs> Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Catherine Boyle is here. Hello. Um, giggling away. And yet you've had surprisingly little amount of caffeine today. This is just your natural happy vibes. Yeah, I'm generally upbeat. We're looking through the papers. What have you got? Uh, Mum won gun nil. This what? is in the um, Friday Sun 29, if you want to read along. Okay. This was the dramatic moment when a mum tackled a raider in her shop by grabbing oh. the end of his sawn off shotgun. It's got CCTV pictures of Ranveer Bassey, who's oh. 35. Yeah. She says her mother's instinct kicked in to pre- protect her seven-year-old daughter who was cowering under the counter. Permission to speak? Yeah, well, go on. I think she's stupid. I don't. Why? She I grabs think you do end- mad things if you feel your children are threatened. No, what you do is if you're in a shop, if you're a shopkeeper and you're being robbed by a man with a shotgun, you say, yes, would you like me to put that in a bag for you? You give them everything. You do not grab the end of the shotgun in case... Suppose he blasted her face off with a little girl watching. You don't think like that, though. You just think, how dare you endanger my child's life? Give me that, you silly boy. Ridiculous. I think I probably might be a gun grabber. Dennis, would you be a gun grabber or a cash giver? Uh, neither. Well, hang on, you, well, what would you do then? I'd just cower in a corner and let him do what he liked. I wouldn't give him anything. Right, but he's, he's pointing the gun at you saying, oh, Right, yeah. give well, me, old man, give me the money, now! That straight away calling me an old man would really get me now. Okay. I really but, would. But so you, you'd be cowering in the corner but angry? At that stage, if it was a child there and I'm an old man, I haven't got long to go, grab the damn gun and beat him to death with it. Joe, would you be um, a, a, a cash giver or a gun grabber? Uh, I would be... A cash giver, and I'll tell you why, because I'm a licensed gun holder in, and trust me, you would not want to grab hold of the end of a shotgun. You just give them the money and say, thank you, thank you, come again. You mean you wouldn't feel your sap rising, the rage rising, and just go for him? No, it's not on a sauna. I mean, there's there's some things you would do, you know, maybe if you had a knife, but a loaded shotgun, uh, uh, 
when it's um, sawn off, it will take body parts off, I'm afraid. I, I just, like I say, a mother's instinct, though, never argue with it. No, I don't mess. I don't mess. <laughs> you chuckling away there, Dennis? Yes, I know. It's the usual rubbish every morning, I'm afraid. You're from you, I mean. Anyway, the the horse racing you're on about, surely that is known as the the sport of kings. So it is a sport, if the king says it is. Are you there? Come back, Ian, all is forgiven. Well, is it just menu, Dennis? What the devil's that? You've got a squeaky uh, chair as well, have you? I have got a squeaky chair indeed. Right. Right, so is he still there? Is he cowering in the corner waiting to be shotgunned? I don't know. He's, um, he's just been thinking up this at the minute. Well, that's all right. Anyway, <laughs> the, the horse racing is the sport of kings, so what the hell is he on about saying it's not a sport? Yeah, so, well, I, I like the idea of horse racing. I think it's just because it's been misrepresented by just people gambling all the time. Yeah, well, that's right. But, I mean, you, what else can a king do? He can't play cricket or football. He's got to, yeah, he's, he's got to have a sitting-down exactly. sport watching somebody else race. What, what, yeah, watching his horses being raced. That's right, yeah. Oh, dear. He's gone away. Oh, he's, 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 he's cowering in a corner waiting to be shotgunned. <laughs> I reckon. I reckon they're just sitting there laughing at us. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. What he should do is stick two fingers in the end of the um, shotgun and dare him to blow his fingers off. Well, do you know, do you know what? It's funny you should say that, but um, if he was to stick your fingers in the end of the shotgun or any gun for that matter, not only would he blow your fingers off, but it, because it was so close, it probably ended up taking the, the, uh, the person holding the gun out as well. I should think so. <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't. I wouldn't like to face a shotgun, particularly if there's an idiot holding it, which he would be to start with. You've like got to draw a line somewhere. You've got to. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I think it's um, dependent on the experience. It, you know, we can all say, "Oh, we, we would grab it, or we wouldn't." But like you say, the mother instinct. She just said, "Enough is enough," and just just snapped there and then. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. Right, Ian, you can come back now. You've had your coffee. So, amazing pictures, page 29 of The Sun, it's in a couple of the other papers. Uh, Mum 1, gun nil, armed raider legs it after Ranveer, 35, grabs his sawn-off shotgun. There's a guy wearing, well, he's got a hoodie, could be a mask on as well. He's pointing a sawn-off shotgun at this woman. Her seven-year-old daughter is in the shop cowering. Uh, So what she does, she grabs the end of the gun. Would you be a gun grabber or a cash giver? Stephen St Albans, which would you do? Um... I think I'll give the money. Yeah. I've seen the damage what a gun can do. Really? When? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll do, we do shooting and that, so, you know, mm. when you're shooting foxes and that. What? <laughs> Why are you shooting foxes? Get rid of them, they're rubbish. What do you mean they're rubbish? They're foxes. They're horrible. Are you a farmer? Yeah. Okay, I can understand why you might possibly have a problem with, with, with foxes <laughs> then. Yeah. Um, me dad had a friend who lived in Uxbridge. Oh, yeah. And he, Sorry and about that. Brother, yeah, his brother... Um, was doing an armed robbery, what? and he shot this bloke, but they caught him because he blew the ends of his fingers off. He blew his own fingers off? Yeah, with his sawn off shotgun. How did he do that? <laughs> his fingers <laughs> over the end of it. <laughs> oh, it's like when you take a, a photo, isn't it? And the pictures come back from the chemist, and you got your, your, your fingers in the way. Yeah. And the fellow he shot, Steve, how was he? Uh, oh, he, got, he was all right. Like, like, he was robbing him. 
And, um, as I say, he, uh, <laughs> he shot his fingers off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve, that's marvellous. Isn't that great how we can laugh at um, armed robbery these days? 08459 four double five five double five. Now, when is a pavement not a pavement? When it has a lamppost stuck right in the middle of it, according to Milton Keynes Council. The pavement's uh, narrow in Kelly Gardens in Oxley Park, so having a lamppost slap bang in the middle, forcing people to walk in the road. They complained and were told they made a huge mistake. It's not a pavement, it's a service strip. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, is there right now. Justin, you're at the lamppost. No, I'm not, boss. I can't find it. I cannot find this lamppost. I'm in Oxley Park in Milton Keynes right now. Uh, it's a new estate. I have a, a child's buggy with me. Um, I have a shopping trolley with me. And I've been driving around this estate for 20 minutes looking for this legendary lamppost you've been talking about. I've a moment ago, I spoke to a taxi driver. He said to me, it's too complicated. I can't even explain. And he drove off. I've just... Sorry. Why would, I'm looking for it. I've know? just done the setup for the I thing. Know, Why I didn't know. anybody tell me, well, you've got to find it. I know I've got to find it, but, you know, directions would have been nice. We're saying, we're saying. Well, hang on a minute. Where's your satellite navigational system? Mm, it's uh, a new estate. Not updated yet. Sorry. It's, it's in Kelly Gardens. Yeah, I know. I found about every garden apart from Kelly's garden. Well, find Kelly's garden. <laughs> I'm trying. Believe you me. Well, how, how, I'm trying. How hard are you trying? Very hard. Very hard. Listen, uh, right. I've done the research here. I've not come out with a child's buggy for nothing. I've come here to try and find this lamppost uh, and see whether I can push the buggy around successfully. Right. I'm serious about this. Oh, wait, listen, OK. Right, so it's Kelly Gardens in mm. Oxley Park. If anyone... So where are you now? I'm outside Tesco Express. <laughs> <laughs> right. If anybody can give Justin directions from Tesco Express mm. to Kelly... Gar- Tes- Tesco Express in Oxley Park. Yes, I'm okay. uh, by Hepburn Crescent. I found about every garden going apart from Kelly Garden. OK, we all want to see Kelly's garden. So, yeah. ke- if you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. How does Justin Dealey get from the Tesco Express in Oxley Park to Kelly Gardens? Because I want to do this lamp... I'm, I'm genu- I like a good lamppost yes, story. absolutely. I mean, it's only about a year ago. We went to Bedford and there was a man complaining there yeah. saying, look, Great my, my lamppost here outside my house is constantly on. You know, it's, I want this turned off. It's costing the council no. money. No. And what I would say, though, what I would say, yes. all the lamp posts that I've seen so far on this estate and there's plenty of them yeah. they seem to be in the right that's, place that's so not that's not really going to win me no I'm just saying, I'm just saying the ones I've seen so far no, I don't but, care <laughs> I want you to find the one that I want to, you to find the one that is oh. listen when do I ever let you down I will find this I'm just telling you from oh, my okay. experience so far today the lampposts that I have seen they seem to be in the correct position hey listen you like good music I do well we're going to play a track from BBC Introducing oh now uh, hey now steady on mm-hmm. J- would you like to introduce it and if you do it well enough I'll let you plug your show later on in, in my show okay it's Jamie Walker he's uh, from Hartford and the song is called Slow This Down. Okay, here's a Jamie Walker. Great track. New music. No, hang on, it's, it's not uh, Jamie Walker. It's Jamie Walker. There's no letters before it. It's okay. Jamie Walker. This is Jamie Walker. Beautiful. And it's called what, sorry? Oh, Kelly, could you tell him what... The, uh, sorry about this, guys. I thought this would be fun. Go on. It's all right. Justin, it's called Slow This Down. Jamie Walker from Hertfordshire. He's 20. Slow This Down? Yeah. That doesn't sound right to me. Slow, slow this, this down. down. Slow this down. Why not down? just slow down? Like, if me and you're in a car and you're driving recklessly, I'll say, no. slow this down. Ian, that doesn't make sense, does it? Oh, kids these days. Slow this down. Here it is. Take a listen. Who's it by? Uh, Jamie Walker. A little bit of tra- Tracy Chapman. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. And you can say, baby. Sorry. Down. 
Well, we can get uh, the expert opinion on that from Nanny Eileen. Not Nanny Eileen, sorry, Kelly Betts. Kelly. Hi. That was, uh, it was good. Jamie Walker, slow this down from Hertfordshire. Yeah. Supposing I wanted to hear him play more, but not with a full band. Mm. Kind of like an unplugged, I don't know, sort of acoustic, acoustic set. Acoustic, just him, his guitar. That would be really nice, but, but I, I'm not going to get the chance to hear that, am I? Well, funnily enough, uh. <laughs> and it is funny, he is actually playing acoustically tomorrow on BBC Introducing from 8 o'clock with hey, Gareth Lloyd. That is fantastic. And you produce that show i do it's well, well produced it is excellently produced so uh, eight o'clock tomorrow night bb's introducing we can hear that and some other local acts lots yes we've got live bands in session I, we've got other bands popping in for a chat with the greatest of respect i've been here just over a year now mm. and i sent in my latest single about seven months ago i've not had uh, any reply as to when that's going to get it into where I sent it in to you. What, direct my I've, email? I've, I've emailed it to you. I've given you an actual physical single, and it's not been played yet. On, I just wondered when... Would I'm you like to know the best way of getting music? I would, certainly us. would do, yeah. Well, well it's www.bbc.co.uk forward slash introducing, and you can upload your latest single right. there, and then I'll get it, okay. and then I can listen to it, and I could forward it on if I liked it to Radio 1 or Radio wow. 2. I know it's amazing. So I'm going to be on Radio 1. Or I could just press delete. That's rude. 08459 four double five five double five. You're in a shop. There's a man with a sawn-off shotgun pointing it at you and your kid. Are you a gun grabber or a cash giver? <laughs> This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots to talk about this morning. You've been very vocal this week, which is excellent. More of the same, please. I'll give you the phone number and the uh, computer-based contact details in a bit. But here's some of the things we're talking about. Hertfordshire Police are tracking a couple who abducted their own baby from foster care. We're desperately trying to find a way that Justin Dealey can get from Tesco Express to Kelly Gardens in Oxley Park. We need him to find the lamppost that's on a pavement that's not actually a pavement, but really, I think it is a pavement. So, if you could give him directions, get in touch. And on the back of the story that's in The Sun and other papers today, there's a woman who uh, is, it looks like she's working in a, a kind of a, a grocer's shop. A fella comes in with a sawn-off shotgun. Her seven-year-old kid is there. Instead of giving him the money, she grabs the end of the shotgun and chases him out. Well, what would you be? I have to say, I think she's being rather foolish. Would you be a gun grabber or a cash giver? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. 81333, start your text 3CR. Or you could give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Detectives in Hertfordshire have launched an investigation into the abduction of a baby by its own parents. The baby's father somehow managed to lock up its foster carer and social worker in the course of a supervised contact session. It's believed the family is now somewhere in southern Europe. Well, Alison Shallaby is the chief executive of Reunite, which focuses on parental abduction. Good morning, Alison. Morning. I, I was surprised to find that such an organisation existed. That that must mean this is more common than I thought. It is, unfortunately. I mean, we've been existing for 26 years now, and we have over 500 abduction cases reported to us every year. That's 500 new abduction cases. 
but usually they tend to be where it's one parent removing the child against the other parent. But sadly, what we're also seeing now is an increase in the number of cases that you're just describing where it's whole families fleeing the country because of the involvement of social services. And how... How easy is it for a family to flee the country with, 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 I suppose, quite easy if it's their own child? If it's their own child, yes, because we have very limited exit border controls from this country, so it's very easy just to go through with no questions being asked. And, of course, the difficulty comes afterwards in trying to secure the return of the child back to this country. Now, obviously, we have to tread very carefully uh, uh, around this story because there is an injunction. But in general, you, you mentioned that these cases are becoming more common when social services are involved. Why is that? I'm not too sure, really, because it's not something that we've seen, say, for the past sort of 25 years. It's only in the last 18 months that we've seen this increase, whether it's just because there's more involvement of social services or whether it's because there is this realisation that it is so easy to leave the country. I don't know. In other circumstances, why would parents end up abducting their own children? What we tend to see, it's when it's the breakdown of a relationship and one parent is a foreign national and wants to return to their home country. And when you've got children involved in that relationship, that parent is wanting to take the children with them. But what we're also seeing is in 70% of the cases, it's actually the mother who's abducting the child. And it must be, for the parent that, uh, and the other family members that are left behind, it, it, it must be absolutely hideous. It's, it has a devastating effect, but also it's not just the family, it's that child as well, because mm. that child has been removed from absolutely everything that they know. They're now in a foreign country, maybe different language, different culture, surrounded by people who they don't know, and clearly they're going to be missing the left-behind parent. And I, I would imagine that, that it varies from country to country on how easy it is to get that kid back. Absolutely. There's some countries where there is an international convention in place, so there is that mechanism to request the return, and that is very successful, and children do return. But for countries outside of that convention, it can be a very difficult process indeed, because in some cases you don't know where the children are within that country. You've got financial barriers, you're going through a court system where you don't speak the language. And we know of cases where four or five years down the line, that parent is still trying to fight for the return. Wow. That's mm. just, as, as a dad, that's just terrifying. What support mm. is there in this country for, for parents who are trying to get their children back from abroad? We have the government departments. We're, we're very good at sort of processing these applications to request the return of the children. There's the police. But I think parents do need an awful lot of emotional support because, as you've already touched on, it has a devastating effect on that parent and they do need some support. I would. I, I'm, I'm guessing here that if a kid's been away, uh, let's say Pakistan, for, mm. just for argument's sake, for four or five years, and their, their parent who is in England brings them back, I, I would imagine there could be some resentment from that kid for them being taken away from their home that they've lived in for the last four or five years. Yeah, it is incredibly difficult for the child, and it, I think a lot of it also depends at what age they are removed from this country, because as you've just said, if a child has lived in Pakistan for five, six years, they were only one when they were taken there. So it may be that they don't speak English, they have no recollection whatsoever of the parent here. 
And so they're having to build up that relationship again in a country that they're completely unfamiliar with. And it, in some cases, it can almost be like a re-abduction all over again. And I suppose there's very little we can do to prevent this from happening. There are steps that can be taken. If a parent fears that the child is at risk, then they can get some legal orders to try and re prevent the, the child from being removed. You can have passports removed. But I think it's also important to let schools know, any carers know, that if that child disappears, then you must be informed immediately. And then you can get the police involved and we can prevent that child from being removed, even at the airport, for example. But it's all about knowing and it's about being notified that your child is missing. Alison, I really appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely fascinating. Alison Shallaby, uh, Chief Executive of Reunite, which focuses on parental abduction. Just to uh, reiterate, the reason we're talking about that is because of this uh, story, that we are limited as to what we can say. Uh, but the, the, what we can say is that detectives in Hertfordshire have launched an investigation into the abduction of a baby by its own parents. The, the baby's father managed to lock up its foster carer and social worker in the course of a supervised contact session. And it's believed the family is now somewhere in southern Europe. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm just, I, I keep going back to this story in The Sun, page 29, because I find it incredible. There's a picture of uh, a mum. Well, there's a fella in a, he's got a black hoodie on, he's got gloves, he's got uh, probably a mask on as well. He's dressed entirely in black, wearing gloves. He's pointing a sawn-off shotgun at this mum, and he's holding a bag, which I'm assuming he wants her to fill with cash. This was the dramatic moment when a mum tackled a raider in her shop by grabbing his sawn-off shotgun. Ranveer Bassi, 35, said her mother's instinct kicked in to protect seven-year-old daughter Satreet, who was cowering under the counter. CCTV shows the thug burst into the shop in Stafford and demand mum of two Ranveer fill a bag with cash as he sticks the gun in her face. But... The robber fled empty-handed when she grabbed the end of the weapon and shouted. Ranveer, who's five foot two, said, I don't know why I did it. I guess my mother's instinct took over. I just shouted, get out of my shop, and started shoving him. He picked the wrong day to mess with me. All right, Schwarzenegger, calm down. I wasn't having him take my hard-earned cash. Police are appealing for witnesses. I, um, she was so lucky. I've got to be honest, Catherine. I think this woman... Yes, yeah, she's a hero. She's brave. Well done. I think she's stupid. I don't even know whether it's that. I think people have had enough about no. being threatened and, and made to feel no. like they have no right to run a decent business. She, I think uh, that people are at the end of their tether. She's stupid. She's stupid because she had a seven-year-old daughter there. And if that fella had, um, uh, had got, even got more nervous and his finger had slipped on the trigger, she would be dead and her seven-year-old daughter would have seen that. Let them take the cash. There's only going to be a couple of hundred quid in there. She'll probably get most of it back on insurance anyway. Let him take it. This is easy to assess in the cold light of day. When it's happening to you, I would be outraged. And I know I've been in situations before where I hear a voice having a go at someone because yeah. they're doing something bad in front of my children. And then I realise it's mine. I think sometimes the rage takes over. How okay. Dare you do that in front of my child? Well, the question this morning is, would you be uh, a gun grabber or a cash giver? 08459 455 555. Stephen, what would you do? It depends. If, if my child was in in harm's way, I'd grab it and I'd batter him to death with it. But the, right, okay, right. The, the, but the child wasn't immediately, in immediate harm. The child was hiding under the counter. You have to assume in this situation, if she had given him the money, he would have gone away. It, she could have made things so much worse. She was so lucky... He didn't shoot her. 
Yeah, I know, but... Now, listen, if there's, like... if, if there's a fella pointing a gun at my boy, it's a different story. If he is pointing the gun at my boy, it becomes a different situation. But, in this situation, the kid was hiding, all she had to do was fill the bag with cash, and he would have gone. You don't know the story. She may have been robbed so many times that this is just the final straw that made her snap and think, enough is enough, and I ain't going to take it no more. And I, you know... He, she might have been able to read, read the bloke and known the fact that he, was, he wasn't he was going to do anything and he was just going to threaten her now and I don't know she just rage just takes over and you, you can't you've had enough enough and I ain't taking no more I, listen I would happily give him the cash and then rage about my uh, inadequacies and uh, my how useless I'd been afterwards I'd go and get a bit of therapy and talk it through and stuff but I, I would I would rather be full of angst and self-loathing than full of bullets yeah you don't know you, you I don't think you can really tell unless you're in that situation let's hope you never are oh let's, let's fingers any, crossed any, anything like that yeah fingers crossed and it, Talk, you know you're talking about um, horse racing not being a sport. Oh, yeah, horse racing. It's not a sport. We're celebrating right. this gentleman that's won 4,000 races. Come yeah. on, get over well, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I, mean, I don't think it's much of a sport, but you've got to give them jockeys. They are, they are fit, fit fellas. They are well you fit. Go, you go down now on, like, onto squat, yeah. and then, then, then just raise, up, raise your bum up a little bit and just see how long you can stay there for. But then they can, have a, little, they can have a little... Oh, Catherine's doing it. Oh, my gosh, Catherine. But the, but they, they then can have a little sit down. They don't. Well, they can. You, 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 you watch a jockey; they never sit down. They are on their they're on their legs all the time. All I mean, and the race isn't that long. What is it? Four or five minutes? But that's a that's a lot. You mean and it's, the horse is bouncing up and down, and oh they're trying dear. to think how much how they're going to spend all that money they're going to win when they win. It's the easier. Race. It's easier for them, Stephen, because they are tiny, so they have less distance to go. <laughs> of course, it'll be harder for me. I've got longer legs. I've got to drop further. Stephen, yeah. you put up a good defence. I'm not buying it, though. Horse racing is not a sport. Discuss. Oh, wait, 459-455-555. We're trying to send Justin to a lamppost in the middle of a pavement. He's had great trouble finding it so far. Justin Dilly, whereabouts are you now? I'm now in the urinal section. Well, that's no use to anybody. Go and find that lamppost. For goodness sakes. For goodness sakes. Oh, wait, 459-455-555. Are you a gun grabber? Or are you a cash giver? I just think it's, it's, it's so... Listen, if they're unarmed, they're, yeah, there may be. Maybe you, you, you step in. But you don't grab the end of a sawn-off shotgun. You just don't do it. Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're also talking about horse racing. There's a gentleman, A.P. Murphy or something, is that his name? Anyway, he's, he's won his 4,000th race. Well done. Don't want to knock the fella. Well done. Cracking. But really, is anybody interested? Is anybody? Sport, uh, horse racing is not a sport. It's not in the league of, of darts and snooker, is it? 08459 555. Now, it's pretty reasonable to expect things like medical notes to be kept locked away somewhere, guarded by one of those terrifying doctor's secretaries that wear too much makeup. And yet a woman from Bedfordshire contacted us after her daughter's notes were found, along with a bundle of others from various other NHS trusts, in a flat recently vacated by a locum doctor. Here's what she told me earlier on. I would like all the parents who are involved um, to be given the facts about this guy. Um, it's, you know, their investigations, I, w- I would like everybody to have the findings of them. They are investigating him um, and trying to establish why he took the records out. So, you know, that's, that's the answers. And also, you know, I want to know how 
if there were problems with this guy, um, how come he missed all the checks? Well, I don't know how doctors operate. Well, I do know how they operate, but I don't know what they do with notes. I don't know if it's quite common for a doctor to take a patient's notes home. Well, Dr Mike Ingram is a practising GP from Radlett in Hertfordshire. Maybe you can tell me. Mike, do, do doctors take notes home with them? Well, I think the first thing to say is there's a big difference between general practice and hospital notes. Uh, GP notes throughout the UK are held on computers, so unless you're actually going to grab your <laughs> your computer from your desk and uh, put it in your car and take it home, it's going to be tr- pretty tricky to do so. Um, so, uh, in general practice, uh, the first thing to say is your notes stay in the practice and they stay on the computer in the practice. And there's an uh, enormous amount of safeguards uh, to ensure that, that access to the computer is limited to those who need uh, to, to actually reach your notes. Uh, a lot of regulations, a lot, uh, quite clearly, to make sure that your information is, uh, is held safe. Um, and uh, the situation in hospitals, of course, is difficult is different because they rely on paper notes and uh, you can uh, see that paper notes are far more portable and uh, and you can get into a situation like this where someone has uh, taken notes off the premises which I'm sh- which is an unauthorized act and has failed to put in, in place common safeguards and actually left them uh, <laughs> in this situation which is which is reprehensible and inexcusable so so in hospitals uh, you you don't take notes away I except think, under very special circumstances well, I think, perhaps. I think uh, the, there must be ways of taking notes away. Sometimes people may need to take the notes off the premises for various reasons, for uh, research work, for uh, administrative work, which has to be done. But anybody who does that, first of all, must be uh, a person who has the right to have those notes. And secondly, must be someone who... uh, make sure they safeguard those notes it's rather like these stories we hear about ministers leave, leaving top secret files in taxes and things like that, Equi- that you know, or, or, or people uh, leaving de- your data from credit card companies uh, somewhere where, where they can be found in a rubbish tip all these are inexcusable breaches of, of confidentiality and data protection and have to be, uh, have to be dealt with rigorously these things happen, and they happen in every area. And the, the lesson here is, indeed, as, you're, uh, as, as the lady who uh, you quoted before said, uh, things have to be dealt with. There must be disciplinary action, and there must be rigorous measures to make sure this never happens again. What kind of action could a, a lo- locum doctor face? Well, clearly, um, this is breach of confidentiality, which is a, a professional conduct matter, and the GMC would be uh, extremely interested in, in, in examining something like this, the doctor risks his professional uh, status being struck off, as well, of course, data protection uh, laws will have been broken, and therefore there is a, d- a danger of prosecution under the Data Protection Act as well. What responsibility do you think the Milton Keynes Hospital has towards those patients who've been affected? I think that uh, the culture when an incident like this happens is to be honest and open uh, to people who are affected by any medical incident uh, and certainly in our practice if you know things do go wrong and, and things uh, in any large system you will have errors and you will have incidents I think there's two things one is to, to be open honest and apologetic to anybody who who has uh, suffered this and the second thing is to make sure systems are in place to prevent any repeat of any such incident 
Uh, I really appreciate your time this morning, Mike. Thank you very much uh, indeed. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. That's Dr Mike Ingram, practising GP from Radlett in Hertfordshire. Do want to hear from you if you've had this letter. The uh, woman we spoke to earlier and received a letter, I think it was late last week, early this week, from Milton Keynes Hospital saying, um, just to uh, just let you know, don't panic, um, but your notes have been found abandoned in, um, in a flat. If you receive that letter... Could you give me a call, 08459 455 555, or, or maybe send me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk, and let me know what happened. Um, Paul's on the line. Good morning, Paul. Hiya. You, you, you've got a, a, a connected story, haven't you? Don't mention, yeah. the, don't mention the hospital, but tell us what happened. I'll try not to. Um, I, I got a letter come through, and they were talking about... They were changing it from, like, paperwork to put it on another computer system. And all my records went missing, and they can't get them back. So they were updating their system. They were changing... This is a hospital. They're changing the notes from paper to computer, and they lost them? Yeah, a whole lot's gone. How did they tell you they'd lost them? I I just got a letter through. That was it. And uh, Some firm they had uh, brought in... Um, just, well, totally <laughs> mucked it up. And did they, uh, <laughs> so when did this happen? It was about a year and a half ago okay. now, I think. So about, so this is about 18 months ago. And when, yeah. you, when you got that letter, how did you feel? Well, I thought, well, basically, I, well, there wouldn't have been much on there anyway, because I'd be go to the hospital, but I thought, yeah, well, <laughs> hmm, do NHS you, again. Do you know if this happened to anyone else? It must have done, yeah. because... Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it must have done. So God knows how many days uh, uh, lost. It does seem incredible uh, to lose... And you're lucky that you're saying you don't go to the hospital that much, so there wasn't that much on there. But it, it could have affected somebody else who's a regular oh, yeah. visitor immensely. Yeah, I mean, my um, partner, the, she's a, a, quite a bad epileptic, and she's been down the hospital a lot, but luckily nothing of hers was lost. So it might have just been because they got through to my surname and deleted all them ones on that. <laughs> I don't know. Paul, listen, I'm going to stay on the line. I'm going to hand you back to uh, uh, to my production team, who will have a little chat with you, because I, I, I think that's worth having a look at. Uh, OK, well, I guess we spread this out a little bit wider, then. Have you had problems with your notes in hospital? So this is two... I'm finding this amazing, Catherine. This it's is astonishing, isn't it? This is two separate incidents that, that, that have similarities. The first one, the lady we spoke to, uh, she got a letter last week saying, oh, yeah, your children's uh, hospital notes have been found in, uh, in a flat. Um, the doctor's moved out, but we found them. Don't worry, nothing's happened to them. And then Paul... And we're not mentioning which hospital it happened to uh, with Paul, but uh, gets a letter 18 months ago saying, yeah, we were transferring all your notes onto the computer and we lost them. That's insane. So an IT upgrade a year and a half ago. And, and they're irretrievable. Paul said that, that he's been told that's it, that's the end of them. Catherine, let's look into we'll look this. It, this let's look into this. This is perhaps bigger than we thought. 08459 455 555. Got anything to contribute on that? We'll have a look at that. Maybe we'll come back to that story uh, on Monday morning. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number, should you wish uh, to give me a call. You're more than welcome to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And by the way, you can post on Facebook 
you know, throughout the day. Um, and we see everything that's up there. So, you know, don't, um, don't worry. It will get seen. We were asking this morning um, about tricks and games you play at work to entertain yourself. We have the, the fun game here of bursting out from behind people trying to scare each other. There's a video on the Facebook page of um, uh, Kelly Betts getting Catherine Boyle. Oh, Darren Traps, his comment, staged. He thinks it's staged. staged. It's genuine. We're making a movie. Kath wishes it was staged. Totally. They get me every time, and every time I do it, I come just stony faces. You're rubbish. We're we're, we're filming as many of these as we can, and we're going to put them together in a movie, which will be very exciting. I'm hoping we can get general release on that. What are we going to call it? Cass rubbish at scaring people, <laughs> part one. Um, well, Anthony says, tape their phone down. Uh, Adam says, I like to uh, cable tie people's coat sleeve up and poke the sleeve inside out. Then when they go to put it on, they can't get their hand out the end. That is hilarious. <laughs> oh, Kelly doesn't get it. I do get it. I'm just thinking, if that person puts their coat on when that person who did it isn't there, it's a bit wasted. Do you want to see your... your... Do you remember the f- when we used to hide each other's coats? <laughs> Yes. That's due for a comeback. Those innocent days. That's due for a little comeback. If I can combine the hiding of a coat and making you terrified, happy days. Do you remember when I used to throw my banana skin at you while you were reading a very newsy link? Yeah, you did it this week. Yeah. I have to think I've had a banana this week. Okay, you did it last week. I did. I did it last week. Don't be proud of it. Double whammies, two banana skins. Uh, as producer, can I say, uh, back to work, everyone. Oh, sorry, yes, boss. Oh, wait, 459-455-555. Listen to her cracking the whip, eh? Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah. I just, uh, just wondered why Barry was ending the sports with something that's not a sport. Horse racing is not... A sport. How can sitting and whipping be a sport? You do it four minutes once a week, wallop. Got a text in. Uh, we've been talking about um, the uh, lady who uh, had a, an email, sorry, a letter from Milton Keynes Hospital saying, we found your baby's notes. They were left in a flat that's been, uh, that uh, a locum GP was staying in. He's no longer in it. We then spoke to uh, Dr Mike Ingham, Ingham who's a GP from uh, Hertfordshire, and he said, oh, no, no, it's, it's different for GP surgeries. We, um, we're not allowed to take... It's all on computers, and we don't take them home. Well, I've got a text here. says, uh, I need to stay anonymous, but the GP you had on from Radlett was wrong. I know plenty of GPs that have NHS-issued laptops so they can work from home. The laptop only works with an NHS ID card, but the GP can access patient records from home. If you've got a story about your records um, either turning up in the place where they weren't meant to be or, as we heard from a caller a few minutes ago, being lost entirely, could you get in touch? You can either give me a call, 08459 455 555, or send me an email, uh, ian, I-A-I-N, dot L-double-E at bbc.co.uk. Um, horse riding, it's not a sport, is it, Ian? Ian, what are you talking about? Sorry? What the world are you talking about? Well, it's not a sport, mate, is it? It's just, it's just, it's a hobby. Tony McCoy has ridden 4,000 winners. He's been champion jockey for 18 years. He rides seven days a week, sometimes afternoon and evening. He puts his life on the line. He's broken his most bones in his body. And he does it for the enjoyment of others and through determination of himself to get winners. Right, that, 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 that's all very good, been, but... And he's been sports personality of the year. 
Sorry? That doesn't guarantee... Ian, none of that means it's a sport. Listen, I'm the world Ludo champion. I've won over 4,000 Ludo games in a year. I once hurt my thumb tossing some dice. It doesn't mean it's a sport, does it? Well, why is it not a sport, Ian? Why is horse racing not a sport? Because it's tiny men sitting down and whipping a horse for four minutes. Where's, where's the sportsmanship in that? Right. There's new whip rules, which means that they're only allowed to use it a certain amount of times anyway. Right. And they don't do it for four minutes. Have you ever been on a horse? Yeah, when I was little. Okay. What, a little horse? But but I, I, the thing is, it's, Ian, it's not, listen, it's not the greatest line. If you can call back on a best line, we'll have a proper debate. It's, it's slightly hard to hear you. But just because uh, this, this jockey was determined, just because he's broken nearly every bone in his body, that would imply to me he's not actually that good. Just because he, 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 he rides seven days a week, it doesn't mean it's a sport. I, um, I check my emails seven days a week. I'm determined to check my emails in the quickest times possible and to reply to them as effectively as I can. Sometimes I get really anxious with the emails I have to deal with. It ain't a sport. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, before I read the introduction to, to to this, Justin, hello, Ian. Are you are you where you're meant to be? Yes, boss. I am uh, live in Kelly Gardens right, right, in Oxley Park, Wilson right. Keynes. All right. Well, then I'll do the setup then. Okay, go you, on. Because you weren't there earlier on when I did the setup, and you were ten to seven. You were supposed to be there. Yes. Did the whole spiel got into it, and, and you yes, weren't there? It's a new estate, and even the taxi driver said to me, "It's a nightmare." I give up, and he drove off. <laughs> so you're, 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 I'm glad you're laughing. I'm, mm. f- I'm fuming. Are you? Oh, you outraged? I'm, I'm, I'm outraged. Don't make me laugh. I'm outraged. So are you? You're, you're, def- you're definitely there. Yeah, on a scale of one to ten, just uh, how disgusted are you? Oh, oh, seven and a half. Mm, okay, fair enough. When is a path? This is the intro now. Mm. Wait, let's hang on a second. Let's start again. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, sleepy eyes. Now, here's a story. When is a path not a path? Well, when it has a lamppost stuck right in the middle of it, according to Milton Keynes Council. Residents of Kelly Gardens in Oxley Park were shocked to find the post had appeared right in the middle of what they thought was a path outside their homes. But when they complained to the council, they were told... It wasn't a path at all, but a service strip. Justin, you're at the uh, gardens, Kelly Gardens. What can you tell us? Well, what I can tell you is uh, that there is a lamppost uh, bang in the middle of what I would describe as a pavement. It's um, bizarre. So here I've got my uh, child's buggy with me. Now, if I was to take this along this pavement, I couldn't get round. I would quite simply be in the road. Now, since I've been here, Ian, in the last, what, 20 minutes or so, neighbours have been opening up their windows saying, tell the council to remove this lamppost. I believe we have got the council coming on very soon. Yeah, I'll be coming in about 10, 15 minutes And then so, somebody's yes. just popped out of the house as well. Sir, good morning, what's your name? Michael. Michael, you're live across Beds, Arts and Bucks. Um, describe what you can see when it comes to that lamppost there. Go on, do your best. <laughs> a lamppost in the complete middle of a pathway that people just can't walk down. Is that a pavement or a service strip? It's definitely a pavement. <laughs> it's not a service strip because it's the only way that you can walk down this street. Mm, would you think it should be removed? Uh, definitely, definitely. Mm. If people want to, if parents want to go down there with their 
prams and buggies, they, they can't. They can't get around, can they? They have to go on the main road, which is ridiculous. OK, thank you very much. You can get off to work now. Thank you. No there you go. So uh, one of the neighbours there. So, Ian, it's not just me saying this. Uh, the neighbours saying this. It, it is absolutely ridiculous. So if you were to take the, your child's buggy, which is here, you would quite literally be going down the curb and into the road. Who wants to take their child into the road no with one. the buggy? Nobody. Justin, listen, can we come back to you in a bit? Now you're there, you might hmm. as well get, get our money's worth out of you. Can we yeah. come back to you in about 10, 15 minutes? And you, you've got a buggy and you've got an old granny shopping trolley. Yeah. Uh, that's my shopping trolley. OK. Can we um, get, get hear what it sounds like in about 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, what I would say, though, lampposts in ridiculous places. I almost bought a property about two years ago and I got yes. there and there was a lamppost slap bang in the middle of the driveway. Oh. And I said, well, what's that doing there? And I said, well, it's just there. You have to talk to the council to get it removed. So you couldn't actually park your what? car on your driveway because there was a lamppost in the middle of the driveway. OK, well, I know, where, I know where a lot of listeners would like to uh, put a lamppost, uh, <laughs> Justin, but we will speak to you in a little bit. Thank you very much indeed. 08459 455555. 555. Phil in Dunstable, horse racing is not a sport, is it? Um, I, I don't even think so. I, I was just querying, um, really, out of the 4,000 horses uh, that this guy's ridden, how many have died as a result. Um, you know, I think um, that's a question that should be asked if you're talking about it being a sport. Um, you know, is it, is it fair game? Uh, there are uh, a, a lot of uh, yes, th- we, we we do lose a lot of horses uh, in sport. And if they were, if it were humans that were dying at that rate, and I don't know what the number is, but maybe someone can uh, call in and let me know. But if if that many humans were dying in a sport, then that sport would be outlawed, wouldn't it? Well, you you, you think so? You think so? Um, I just thought I'd raise the point really. If we're, if we're talking about horse racing being a sport, I think it's rather cruel. Uh, listen, necessary suffering. Phil, I appreciate that. We're talking about um, uh, the AP McCoy, he, uh, the back page of the Express. As jubilant McCoy hits 4,000 mark, um, jumping legend AP McCoy rode into the record books by notching his 4,000th winner at Toaster yesterday. Um, after 39-year-old McCoy had driven... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's jump racing, so yeah, you do. You, your horses do die during jump racing. It's not a sport at all. Riding horses, it's a hobby. It's a hobby. It's like photography isn't a sport. Fishing is not a sport. There are some muppets out there listening to this who think that fishing is a sport. You think that hunting is a sport? It's not. None of those things are a sport at all. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Eight one three double three is the text number. Do start your text three CR. Otherwise, they get su- they can get sent to other radio stations if you don't put three CR. I had Radio Newcastle emailing me last week with some texts that ended up up north, up north. So just make sure you uh, address them correctly. And of course. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Dave is uh, on the line. Morning, Dave. Good morning, Ian. Dave, what would you like to say, sir? Here we go in sport. Yes. Now, I've gone up in the dictionary over sports. Have you gone up in the dictionary over sports? Yeah, I've looked up the word sport. Oh, sorry, I th- thought you meant you, you, you'd gone up in the dictionary over sports, like well, what I you said. Well, I could have gone up in the dictionary, couldn't I? Yeah, you know what I mean? couldn't you? Hold so, on, I'm just looking at the word band. Anyhow, sport. Yes. And it does mention animals and humans competing with each other in athletics, etc., etc. So, horse racing is a sport. 
Well, uh, read out, read out the definition. Oh, I got it with me. Oh, oh, no, no, oh. No, you no, haven't got the, got it with you. So you can because the definition I'm no, looking at physical activity that is governed by a set of rules, a particular form of this activity, an activity involving physical exertion and skill. Well, there's none of that in in uh, in horse racing. An active pastime. It, there's nothing there, Dave, that implies that riding a horse is a sport. It's a rich person's hobby. No, well, would you, would you class a sport then? Snooker, what, what, tennis. Ooh. What? Darts? Yes, mate. No, Skill. no. Skill. No, I don't get... It's got in the dictionary here. Hold on, I've just got it. Sports. Um, sorry about this, but... Dave? It's fun, it's fun or diversion. Dave? Pastime of an outdoor of athletic kind. Dave? With human ho- and horse and, and animals... Dave, you're literally making that up. You haven't got a dictionary no. there. You're making that up. Hold on. Hold on. What, what's a dictionary? Um, Oxford Dictionary. Oh, you've got the Oxford o- Dictionary. The little Oxford Dictionary. Dave. Of current English. Dave. Yes? Are you the Dave that I banned the other day? No, this is John. Oh, John, nice to have you back on board. Well, listen, thanks yeah. for being a, an excellent caller, and we'll, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Well, do, do you don't mind hearing me coming on? Well, it, well, hang on, who is this? No, no, it's John. What, uh, have we spoken before, John? Uh, yeah, during the week. Okay, no, that's fine. It's just you sound like this idiot Dave that annoys me <laughs> and keeps coming on the show and I keep having to ban. But, John, no, listen, if, if uh, yeah, of course you can come on. Always, always happy to welcome new callers. Oh, thank you. Thank you, uh, boss. Bye then, John. Yeah, ta-ta. Before that, that weather. BBC Three hey. Counties Radio. Hi. Hi. Morning to you. Hi. Hi, Hi can you hear us? Um, Yes, I can. Well, then, away you go. Me. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. about. You're a little bit quiet, but never mind. Okay, I'll come closer. To- oh, the microphone is pointing in the other direction. Silly there we go. sausage. That's better. Okay, that's the forecast, Ian. Thanks very much. <laughs> There's a rather uh, stroppy message on uh, Facebook from Steve. Grumpy Steve. Steve's always having a whinge at me on the Facebook page. He keeps listening, though. Who wins? Me. Steve says, horse racing, not a sport in the... Sa- missing out some of the words in this sentence, which is fine. I-, I can understand what you're meaning, Steve, but you must try harder. Horse racing, not a sport in the same way as being a radio presenter, is not a real job. Get over it miserably. See what he's done there? Never said radio presenting was a, a real job. Of course it's not a real job. I get paid. I get paid for this. I get paid to sit and talk to you and read the newspapers. I'm blessed with that. But uh, it's not a sport, Stephen. You know it's not a sport. Riding a horse. There's no athletic prowess in that at all. We're talking about lampposts. There's a, a lamppost stuck right in the middle of a pavement. It, but according to Milton Keynes Council, it, no, 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 it's not a pavement. Oh, no. Well, Matthew's in Northampton. Uh, you've called in about lampposts, Matthew. Go on. Yeah, hi. Um, it was a service strip issue. Um, essentially, a uh, footpath would be about 1.8 metres wide. And uh, a service strip is used when you design a modern estate road, which is a shared surface, and you don't have a formal footpath. Now, a service strip wouldn't be usually any wider than 500 to 600 millimetres wide, and it wouldn't usually be of tarmac construction. It would often be of sort of soft uh, verge construction. So I'm not sure the width of the the foresaid footpath, but uh, if it's uh, less than 1.8, then yes, it wouldn't be a footpath. 
but it, if it's more than five, six hundred millimetres wide, um, I'm not really sure what it is. Uh, how do you know all this, Matthew? I've um, been in the uh, house building for right. many years and uh, designed roads. Okay. Uh, they've changed over the years. Uh, the council usually adopt the roads under a Section 38 agreement, but often now developers find themselves building roads that have to be privately maintained, and, and also the, the design of, of the roads that have changed dramatically as well. So you, generally your formal sort of footpath and 5.5 metre wide road has changed over the years, and you've got these minor estate roads with shared surfaces where they do expect people to walk on uh, on the road as well, which they expect that it naturally slows traffic down through the estate. Matthew, we have to end it there, but thank you very much for your, your inform- inside information there. Well, the residents of Kelly Gardens in Oxley Park were, were shocked to find that a lamppost had appeared right in the middle of what they thought was a path outside their homes. But when they complained to the council, they were told it wasn't a path, but a service strip. Well, we sent Justin Dealey down there. After an hour and a half, he found it. Justin, <laughs> w- what's it like? Well, Ian, it, it is a lamppost uh, right bang in the middle of the path, which means that if you're going to be walking down there uh, with a child's buggy, if you're going down there in a wheelchair, you've got no option, but unfortunately, to step in into the road. Now, so is, it a, is it a raised kerb, or is the road the same level as the pavement? It's a raised kerb. Okay, so, so you've, you've got, got to go down a kerb, okay. and, and the kerb is not dropped. Okay. So it can be quite dangerous. Catherine is here with me. A lot of the uh, residents are coming out here. Catherine, can you just uh, describe what you're seeing there? Because, of course, um, I'm not from this area. Um, tell us what you can see when it comes to that lamppost. Hi. Um, yeah, basically, a path down the street where people have to step off to walk around the lamppost, um, either where we're, we're whether they're walking or with buggies, etc., you still have to manoeuvre around the lamppost to get past. So quite simply, it's in the wrong place. Yeah. Okay. And if you're parking your car at the side of the road, you can't open your door either. Oh. And that's another thing, Ian. You know, wh- where this lamppost is, or where the curb is, you've got cars parked there as well. I've got a child's buggy here. I'm going to do this test right now. I'm going to put you onto Catherine. Catherine, talk to Ian. You can uh, commentate on what I'm doing here. You ready for this? This yeah. is your big moment. OK. okay. Go on, Catherine. Tell us what's happening. Right. He's going to take the buggy up the path, which he's doing now. And rolling down. Yes. Do, do you think he'd be good with the, if there was a real... We haven't put a baby <laughs> no, in No, I don't think so. He's no. bouncing about. He's not got no, a delicate No, he's having touch. to crash into the lamppost oh or come down the kerb to come round it. Right. And now he's out in the road and there's cars coming past. See, that's no good. Listen, <laughs> Catherine, stay there. Uh, and uh, thank you for that, Justin. Stay there because you might want to hear this. And I'd like to come back to you uh, in, in a second. I'm joined now by Milton Keynes Council leader, Andrew Geary. Andrew, what on earth's going on? Well... On the face of it, Ian, this is absolutely bonkers. I can use that word on radio this time. I think you can just get about get away with it, yes. I thought I might be able to. On the face of it, this is absolutely bonkers. But as you heard from the um, the chap that you were talking to from Northampton, the house builder, he's absolutely right. This isn't an adopted footway. This was designed in, in the original planning commission, as a service strip. Now, you'd think, why is a service strip tarmacked over? Well, the reason is because you don't want cars driving on just a grass strip, which service strips are often left as, and rushing it up and making a mess. So the decision was taken to tarmac it over. But in the design codes that were in place, when planning permission was given for this um, this estate in 2007, that was what it was. And there were no footways designed in. And it was, frankly, I have to say, the reason it's bonkers is because it was done under these design codes that were adopted for the inverted commas new Milton Keynes that designed out grid roads, that designed out footpaths, that put houses going straight out onto streets, um, which were, frankly, as I said, bonkers. Surely things like this, though, a, a, a little bit of, of common sense... 
you know, it's obvious that people are going to use this, whether it's a strip road or a pavement or a path, it's obvious that people are going to use it to walk down and, and push their buggies down and their yeah, wheelchairs abso- and things. Absolutely right. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. I'm not going to come on the air and defend the indefensible. I'm, you know, I, I'm merely saying what it was when planning permission was given for this in 2007, you know, and, and was granted, incidentally, not by the council, by Milton Keynes Partnerships, but, you know, that's not going to bother the residents who, who, then, uh, who did it and whose mistake it was and why it was made. Um, you know, what they want is to get it sorted out, and absolutely that's what we've got to try and do. So what, what, what are the options we've got here? When's the lamppost coming down? Right. The only answer to that is I don't know, but what I do know is that officers have been asked to look at remedial solutions to this, because clearly we can't have people pushing buggies down drop curves and up drop curves and everywhere else. It is absolutely crazy. So we've got to try and do something about it. The important thing, and, and I think this is important to stress, is that as I've said more than once, this was designed under design codes that are absolutely crackers, and we've got to absolutely ensure that we do something to make so, sure... So what, what are the options on the table, then? Because I'm, I'm guessing that you're not going to take it down, and what you're going to do is put a couple of double yellowed lines and uh, a drop in the curve, in the curb. Um, that's, that's not what I've heard. I haven't, I, I haven't oh. heard about... I've, heard, I've heard that there could be a raft of remedial solutions to this, and nobody's offered me any alternatives or suggestions yet. Okay. Ta- so just take. If I'm, he- if I'm hearing them from you, that's interesting. Well, uh, this, this is my idea. So, what have you heard then? What, what have they suggested? No, there are a raft of things being looked at. There are a raft of options that we could possibly Go on, do. Then. Uh, Give us a couple. I, well, no, I don't know. I haven't seen them. I haven't okay. seen the menu. All I've been told is there are a raft of options. We're looking at them, and we'll come back with a menu of them to explain. And you did you work at the workable? You ones. didn't ask. You didn't ask what those that raft of options had sitting on it. No, no, I didn't, because there, there, are, there are a number of options that can be looked at, but some of them may or may not be workable in this particular instance. That's, that's as I've been told, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not a highways engineer. No. I'm just a mere leader of a council who tries to sort these things out Good when they you. happen, and then try and make sure that we do something to make sure they don't happen again. Andrew, do, 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 you, do you want to be really popular with, with the people of this area? I'll do my best. Go on. Take the lamppost down. Uh, I think that's probably the solution that will be favoured by the politicians. Fine. The fact is that I expect we're going to be told that within the design codes we had to build the lamppost. I don't know whether that's the case, but if it is, you know, if the lamppost isn't wanted by local residents, then that seems the most option, doesn't it? Andrew, listen, thank you very much indeed. Uh, let's quickly, Catherine, you've got tw- uh, 20 seconds. You heard what uh, Andrew Geary, the uh, Milton Keynes Council leader, had to say. How are you feeling now? Um... Well, basically, if he does what he says and takes the, gets the lamppost taken down, then it will suit everyone, and everyone can walk up and down the path as they should be able to. W- would you think you'd be able to throw an Andrew Geary party if that actually happened, <laughs> to celebrate the great man? I'm uh, not sure about that, but, okay. um, yeah, we'll be happy to walk up and down the path. Catherine, I appreciate your time. Justin, thank you very much, and uh, uh, Andrew, thank you for coming. Hey, there you go, media training people. Listen to what Andrew Geary just did, Milton Keynes Council leader. He didn't come on and dodge the question, didn't come on and... Uh, hogwash us he came on and said yeah no it's, it's a stupid thing isn't it i'm going to see what i can do about it that's 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 all you need andrew thank you very much indeed This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thanks for the tea, Kelly. That's all right. There you go, you see. That's the kind of... That's why there was a delay of me coming to talk to you. Tea was being delivered and I was politely thanking her off air. That's the kind of guy I am. Lots coming up between now and uh, JVS at nine o'clock, including incredible story. Hertfordshire police are tracking a couple who abducted their own baby from foster care. A Bedfordshire mum is demanding answers after her daughter's medical notes were found in a rented flat. What stories have you got? 
And this incredible picture in the sun of uh, a mum holding the end of a, a sawn-off shotgun as someone tries to rob her shop. Well, to be honest, I think she was very, very stupid and incredibly lucky. Would you be a gun grabber or a cash giver? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR, or give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. And we'll have some live music before the end of the show. I've been warned a big drum kit's coming in, which, which always excites me. Now, detectives in Hertfordshire have launched an investigation into the abduction of a baby by its own parents. The baby was in the care of social services when it was taken. Its father managed to lock up its foster carer and social worker in the course of supervised contact session before taking it out of the country. It's believed the family is now somewhere in southern Europe. Now, we have to be uh, careful what we say for legal reasons, so we'll, we'll tread gently around it. But I'm joined now by Joanna Abrahams, who is an expert on abduction and general family law. Joanna, how common are child abduction cases involving both biological parents? Good morning, Ian. Not that common, not with both biological parents. Most often we have a parent who removes a child, uh, usually after uh, the breakdown of a relationship. But with both biological parents involved, not common at all. In your experience, why, why do parents abduct a child? Uh, well, quite often it's when, um, and it, it, it frequently is a mum um, who's had a relationship and it's, you know, things haven't gone as they want and in escaping the relationship for whatever reason, uh, they remove the child without the consent of the, of the father. I mean, of course it goes both ways, absolutely it goes both ways, but it, that's what I tend to find in my experience is often mums who leave with the kid. And uh, of course, when the dad has got what we call parental responsibility, so the same rights as mum, it makes, uh, it makes life very difficult because she's not allowed to do that. She's not allowed to make a unilateral decision by herself. When both parents have got parental responsibility, both have to make decisions about where that child is going to be. Um, it's, of course, different when there's been an interim care order. Um, and again, this is obviously generic because when you've got an interim care, um, the court would have made uh, a decision to remove that child from the care of its biological parents. And they would have had to consider um, where the child would suffer more harm, i.e. with his parents or in uh, local authority care. So there would have been a reason why a child is removed from its uh, uh, biological parents. And when that happens, when the parents do have contact with their children, um, it's supervised. So for this to have happened, or indeed for supervised contact to go wrong, is unusual because safeguards are put in place. I'm still, as a dad, I'm still struggling to, to think how I could take uh, a, a, a kid abroad from my wife or if we were to do it together. It just seems like such a damaging thing to do to the child. Yes, but often people don't stop and think logically. It's often a, a slight instinct, and they just want to go. And uh, the repercussions are horrendous, obviously. Well, I don't know if it's obvious, but it's a, it's a criminal offence, actually, under the Child Abduction uh, uh, Act. It's, it's a criminal offence within, within uh, uh, our country. And indeed, um, if the, a child has gone to somewhere in Southern Europe, and it's a signatory to what we call the Hague Convention, which is an agreement to which quite a lot of Europe has signed up to, um, then they will make an order in that country we get the child back here so because the parents have gone it would be the local authority that would make an application to the court and how long could that take if they are in a, a country that si signed up to the hague agreement 
The, the agreement should be done and dusted within six weeks there should be wow. um, a final hearing. Very, very different to our domestic proceedings, which as we know can take nine, twelve months. I mean, sometimes they can drag on far, far longer than we'd like. But hey, proceedings, time is of the essence and it's done and dusted very quickly as soon as the child is located. You mentioned that, that m- most of the, the countries in Europe are signed up to this. That, that would imply that there are several that are not signed um, up to this. Denmark, as far as I'm aware, is not a signatory to The Hague. Um, but I'd have to double-check on that, yes. So you get the odd anomaly, right. but um, as a rule, um, Europe is, is, a, is a, a signed up. For Joanna, the is, there, is, is there not a system where the authorities could alert, alert border control immediately? Yes, we have what's called a port alert system. Um, but um, you can get this via the police, actually. A lot of people are not aware of this, especially if this happens on a Friday night and there's no solicitor around. Um, you can go to the police and the police can um, do a port alert for you. As well, and as well as that, an application can always be made to the High Court. They've always got an out-of-hours judge. You'd phone the central telephone number and um, and it can be done that way as well. So you can put measures in place. And I know for a fact they are effective because um, I know that their parents have been picked up trying to get through the borders when they shouldn't do. So they are, the sooner they're done, the better. Time, you've always got to move quickly with these things um, because obviously in this case, the uh, local authority didn't and um they've managed to get out of the country so the next question is going to be locating them and then making an application to bring them back uh, and w- is there much support for for the pair you know if one of the parents is left at home is there much support for the parent here Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, the left-behind parent, um, if, um, if, for example, a child's been taken abroad and um, they get automatically delayed, whether they're multimillionaires or on benefits, and um, there is a big system of, uh, of support in place. We've also got an organisation called Reunite, uh, which is specifically set up for um, this sort of thing, for um, international and, I think, uh, national um, abduction. And how uh, successful are, are uh, we in bringing children back to this country? In bringing them back, it depends on the country. Within hay countries, we're pretty good. America is very hit and miss. Some judges know exactly what's going on. Some are, are not so uh, clued up. It really depends on where they're taken. When a child is brought here, um, they are um, almost always returned back to the country from where they were wrongfully removed. Joanna, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. That's Joanna Abrahams, uh, an expert on abductions and general family law. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, so, the last 40, 50 minutes of the show, I I do want to talk about this story. It's in The Sun, it's page, uh, where are we, 29, The Hero Shotkeeper. I see what you've done there. Mum one, gun nil. Armed raider legs it after Ramvir, 35, who's only five foot two, if that has any bearing on it. Grabs his sawn-off shotgun. She grabs the end of the shotgun while he's trying to rob the, st- the shop. She says it was to protect her seven-year-old daughter who was cowering underneath the counter. I think she was very, very silly. Incredibly lucky, but really silly. What would you do? Do you think? It's hard to, to imagine, isn't it? But if you were in that situation, what would you do? I would give them the money every single time. It's insured. You're covered by insurance. You're not going to lose anything. This is why um, the men that work in those securical vans, never they're told, just give them the money. It's insured. It's covered. They'll get the money back. Never grab the end of a shotgun 
What do you think? Would you grab the... What's the line of the clever line I came up with? Uh, gun grabber or cash giver. That's it. You see, I knew there was something. I'd, uh, I'd done something good this morning. And that was it. Uh, Jason says, sorry, but I work hard... This is on Facebook. I work hard to give some freeloader my cash. So if I could time it right so no one got shot, I would be a gun grabber. What do you mean if you could time it right so no one got shot? It's not a movie. Rebecca says, I would have given the cash. I think there will be a greater chance of the robber panicking if his gun was grabbed and he might let one off accidentally if he wasn't expecting it. But then again, I grew up in Johannesburg. Yes, where things are slightly different uh, there. Steve has called in from Redbourne to agree with me that horse racing is simply not a sport, haven't you, Steve? Uh, No, not really. Oh. (laughs) Oh, dear. Go on, then. I'll be honest with you. You ought to go to Windsor Racecourse on uh, New Year's Day. Why? You see how easy the job is, like, I wouldn't want to do it. Well, there's lots of jobs. I wouldn't want to be a crane driver, but it's not a sport, is it? But, but, uh, you know, them blokes are so fit, it's unbelievable. We were at Sandown a few years ago when, right in front of the stand, uh, the leader come over the top last fence... He went down and got rolled on by the horse, and all the rest of them trampled him. Was the rider okay in the end? I think he had broken ribs and a a broken arm. I bet the the horse got shot. No. That's what they do. They shoot horses, don't they? Yeah, that was a good film, that was. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well done for getting the reference. Thank you, Steve. (laughs) But seriously, it's just wee blokes sitting on a horse for five minutes. Come on, mate. I don't know. There, there's one, there was one national hunt jockey that was six foot one or six foot two. Was there? Yeah. His legs nearly touched the ground when he was riding the little horse. Can I, can I ask a question? You obviously know about horse racing. Not a lot. Well, a little bit. You know more than me. It's all fixed, isn't it? Um, some and some. There's not so much now, is oh. it? Oh, well, I don't know. Hang on a second. So <laughs> this is the other great thing. If some of it is fixed, how can it be a sport? It's fixed. <laughs> Well, it's like some football matches and cricket matches, isn't it? Well, exactly, but we <laughs> want to eradicate that. <laughs> it's, it's, um, you, you're never going to er- eradicate things like that when there's money involved, and it's big money, isn't it? Well, Steve, I think it's very naughty. There's the other thing to throw on the burning fire of horse racing. No horses will be on that fire. That would be hideous. But it's fixed. Not in any way saying that this gentleman who's won 4,000 races in any way cheated, but we do know there have been so many horse racing scandals, more so than cricket, more so than football, more so than snooker and darts. I can't think of... Oh, no, there... Was there a darts scandal recently? There may have been. I think there was. I think there was. But horse racing is, is famous for being rigged, isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's quarter past eight. Nicola Foskett has uh, sent in an email, a, a text that proves my point about horse racing. She says, "Ian, horse riding? Question: If horse riding is not a sport, then why is show jumping on the Olympics? And why would horse jumping and racing be shown on the Sports Channel? It takes a lot of training to ride a horse correctly, and also very technical and tiring. Well, several things. It takes a lot of training to uh, uh, operate a crane, and it's technical and tiring. It ain't a sport. They put it." on the sports channel to fill up their empty schedules and they also show that silly thing where posh horses have ribbons in their hair and dance sideways on the olympics it's simply not a sport but thank you for helping prove my point as you were paying attention i was um reading an email from uh do you know tony fisher yeah oh um yes the guy that works here sometimes he just sent me an email uh, s- s- saying can we get marillion in the studio 
Marillion, the 80s pop group. No, we can't. We can't do that, Tony. What a ridiculous request to make it. To <laughs> ridiculous. He's probably been having a bit. You reckon? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I imagine he probably does as well. You're in a shop. Am I? Yes. I'm not. I'm in your studio. <laughs> no, but imagine... Okay, you're in my studio. Yes. And your seven-year-old, um, let's say son, is cowering underneath the desk there, and I'm pointing a shotgun at you, saying, give me all of your money. What would you do? I'd grab that gun, and I'd shove it in his face. Not my son's face. No, the my ro- face. The robber's I'm face. the robber. Yeah. Would you really shove a gun in my face? Yes. Yeah, but but seriously, I've got a sawn-off shotgun. You're going to grab the end of it like this woman did in this shop. I don't. To be honest, I don't know. I mean, you, how can you possibly know until you're faced with that kind of I know. Of I wouldn't grab it. I would give the money and say, there you go, sir. Thank you, sir. Sorry, sir. Oh, no. I... D- I d- yeah, you see, I don't think I'd just hand over money. I, I would... You would, don't get stroppy with them. Please don't get stroppy with a man who's got a gun. I know, but if we all just give in to these oh. disgusting people, then where are we all going to end as a society... He's you got know. a gun, Jonathan. Listen, if he's if he's got a knife, it's a slightly different thing. If it's if it's just him with a baseball bat, then yeah, steam in there if you feel up to it. But he's got a gun, bang bang. But he probably wouldn't use it. Oh. It's just for effect. You really are saying that the baseball bat. I was involved in an incident with. Um, I went round my friend's house late one night. And uh, him and this other gentleman opened the door, and I burst in going, all right, Steve, and we walked up to his flat, how's it going, thinking this was one of his mates. Then this gentleman shut the door, pulled out, it wasn't a baseball bat, it was a rounder's bat. Not quite so impressive, and was threatening to smash us both in, and said, wait there, because my mate is going to come with a gun, and uh, we're going to teach you a lesson or two. How old were you when this happened? Uh, This was like seven years ago. Oh my God. So I was 33. Now, what I was doing cleverly, it's being clever, you see, and then this fella turned up, didn't show us a gun, he, he pointed his fingers in a coat. So he may have had a gun, he probably didn't. <laughs> but what I did was I had my phone in my pocket. I thought, I'm not, getting, I'm not letting these lads get away with this. So I dialed 999 on my phone. Yeah. And I'm going to my mate Steve. Steve, remind me what address this gunman is coming to. Oh, and he's going, subtle, smooth. He's yeah. going, it's 32 um, Acacia Avenue. I said, yeah. oh, so 32 Acacia Avenue, flat B, a gunman is going to come. Wasn't that where Banana Man lived? Yes, it was, but he'd moved out at this point. Right. Otherwise, he would have hopefully helped us. <laughs> That's why he took the flat. So anyway, this fella came, and they roughed us up a bit, and yes. then he left, okay? Mm. Smashed a few things up, and then he left. I said, where the flipping hell are the police? I took my phone out. I dialed 666. <laughs> I dialed... I, I called the devil. <laughs> the police were nowhere so near. So how did you get out of this, this gangster they, scenario? They, they left. They, 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 you know, they kind of... You mean they left? They roughed us up a bit. They, uh... Seven years ago, you got beaten up no. by a man with a rounders bat and a man who had a gun in his pocket. Well, I didn't get beaten up. They pushed my mate Steve uh, onto a sofa several times aggressively. It was all to do with, with, with who Steve had been seeing, you see. I see. Steve had been seeing the wrong person. Right. And, I, and I'm just... It was terrifying. Well, it sounds absolutely petrifying. But the, the thing, there were two of us. He only had a, a rounders bat. We could have overpowered him. And, but I just went, no, sir, yes, sir. Do you, and I said, do you want me to go and get you some money? Well, if I give you some money, will you go? And he got uh, angry at that. I, when I was talking about confronting crime the other day, I, yeah. a man spoke to me and he was saying that uh, his family were threatened, so he went inside, he grabbed a carving knife and stood at his front door brandishing a carving knife. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Mm. I wouldn't brandish a carving knife. It depends. If my kids were being directly threatened, it is a different thing altogether. But if there is a gun involved, yes sir, no sir, what would you like, sir? Really? Yeah. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Until you're faced with it, you yes. just don't know, do you? You just don't know. You've got to look in the eyes of that. I mean, you and I, we're trained shooters. 
you you remember that feeling of pulling the trigger in very powerful yeah very powerful you'd you'd look in that person's eye and yeah. you would you'd know wouldn't you if they were gonna do you it would, or not you would know yes if they got that crazy look you'd think Ooh. and i'm still suspicious i know you you won't be able to say this on air i i think you you were given a little uh, mini taser the other day when you went to the police i suspect that, that you as you left they went here you go jonathan don't say anything is it Have you reckon i've got my own taser i know you can't say on air but i i wouldn't be surprised i know what you're like no, I can uh, confirm now the police did not give me any artificial... All right, mate. <laughs> Stop tapping oh, your no, nose. No, 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 the course, police did not give me no, a taser. You have to, and of course you have to say that, and, and I appreciate <laughs> the reasons you have to say that, but I've seen you out on things, and you've, you know, you, they, they give you a gift when you leave. Of I'd, course they I'd do. like one. I'd like yeah. a taser. And now I'm fully taser trained, I could be trusted. Yes. <laughs> what have you got on your show this morning? Coming up on the big phone in at nine, has Nadine Dorries overreacted to the smacking book? Midbeds MP Nadine Dorries has told BBC Three Counties Radio she wants Bedfordshire-based Amazon to stop selling the American parenting book to train a child as it advocates hitting children. Mm. Uh, the book's author, Michael Pearl, told Roberto yesterday that children under a year old can be spanked on the back of the legs with a light wooden stick if they misbehave, not to cause pain, but to shock them into good behaviour. The book has sold over 800,000 copies in eight languages, but now Nadine Dorries has written a letter to the Prime Minister demanding Parliament discuss banning the book next week. Oh, no. Well, after nine, I'll play you an interview with the author of this book. I want you to listen to what he has to say about his disciplinary methods. And then I want you to pick up the phone and let me know, has Nadine Dorries overreacted to the smacking book, or do you totally agree with her? 08459 455 555. I want your view. Would you ever take a small stick no. from a... D- no. You don't, you, don't hit, you don't hit children. Once you hit a child, you've, you've lost the argument. You do, you do not hit children because they are tinier than you. And they, you, you do not train and uh, bring them up through fear and pain. But I like Nadine Doris. Got a lot of time for her when she bothers to come on the show when we've booked her and she doesn't always do that. But <laughs> she's wrong on this as well. You don't ban, we don't ban books in this country. Oh. We don't ban books and we don't hit children. They're both wrong. Go and sit in the naughty well, step. I was, I was hit frequently as a child and look at me i'm perfectly well adjusted and normal don't you pull that face you want to go around tasering people you see you're, you're taking out the sure. i only want to taser criminals there's nothing wrong with that you want to punish your parents indirectly so you're doing it by tasering people who have been naughty i deserve to smack i was telling the team upstairs i was once horribly rude the, one of the most memorable smacks i got from my mum yes well wow. i was horribly rude to her yeah shall i tell you the story please do i had home economics and pe on the same oh, day Oh man so i've got one bag with my home ec stuff yeah. over one shoulder yeah. and i've got the other bag with my pe kit over the other shoulder and then i've got my rucksack on my back okay. with all my books and pencils yeah and paraphernalia that one needs to be educated you need a lot of things and uh, i said to my mum, i've got home ec and pe on the same day can you pick me up from school and she said yes okay i'll pick you up from school so i finished school yeah. half past three lovely it was pouring with rain yeah. you've never seen rain like it oh. great big golf balls full of rain Beautiful. were falling from the sky and i came out my mum wasn't there oh dear so I started walking, and I'm drenched, you absolutely be. soaked. I got my pea kit, my home ec, and got a shepherd's pie for for rock tea rock. in yeah, there. All beautiful. And uh, I soaked. Yeah. Finally, I'm I'm almost home, and the car comes sweeping up next to me. Yeah. The door opens, and my mum says, "I'm sorry, I got held up at work." And I I leant through the door. I can't repeat what I said to her. Yeah. But I said, "Where the 
have you been? She was so... How, fu- how old were you? I, I, uh, about 13. She pushed, me, she pushed me out the car. She pushed me out the car. She drove off, left me, so I still had to walk back with my stuff. <laughs> when I got home, I got the hiding of a lifetime. Really? Now, surely, that- you agree that was quite right. I deserved it. For that? Of course, I, t- I used no. a bad word to my mother. The punishment was she drove off and left you to walk home in the rain. She no. should have hit you. She gave me a damn good thrashing, and you know what? Oh. I also got the old, uh, right, let me phone your father. Oh. So she phoned my dad. Double whammy. And my dad was at his desk, and, and my dad used to have this, uh, he used to say, when I get home from work, because he didn't want anyone else in the <laughs> office to hear, when I get home from work, you are going to get the hiding of your life. Oh, no. So, of course, I then had the whole rest of the afternoon waiting for him to get home. Yeah. When I heard his footsteps in the gravel drive. Yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah, I got it from him as well. Oh, that's awful. That's it. I'm awful. So, I want to give you a hug. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that abuse. Don't feel sorry for me. I was a precocious little devil. But it's not changing. You're still, you know, you, you still have those elements. Yes, but I would never be quite so rude and disrespectful to my parents. Uh, Richie, do you think that uh, Jonathan deserved a wallop then? <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> mm. <Okay>. Jonathan, <laughs> 08459 We'll speak to you later on. Thank you. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here we Radio. go. Yes. Richie, horse Hello. racing, it's not a sport, is it? Of course it is. Go on, tell me why. Um, if you actually see the, the fitness regime the lads have to go through... Um, Firemen go horses. through a fitness regime. That's not a sport. Next point. What do you mean? How can you say if you don't go through a fitness regime, it's not a sport? Well, firemen go through a fitness regime. So what, what, what Firefighting is, is not a sport. What is a sport? Um, tennis. Tennis. Tennis you is... Don't, you don't have to be fit? Tennis is... Well, no, the, the tennis is a sport. Yes, of course you have to be fit. And you have to be fit to be a jockey, so it's a sport. Be, no, and you have to be fit to be a fireman. That's not a sport. Being well, that's fit a is bit, that's a little bit different. Well, no, it's not. If, if you're if you're the, the if you're the argument you're saying is that for it to be defined as a sport, you need to be fit. There are lots of things you. Sorry, there are lots. You've got your own music. There are lots <laughs> of things you need to be fit for that aren't sports. Well, yeah, obviously. But you you started the argument, not me. So it's not my argument. You're saying what? horse racing isn't a sport. Yes, and you came so up with a point... How, how can you say horse racing isn't a sport? Then no. you might as well say tennis isn't a sport, because no, but tennis you don't have to be fit to be, play tennis. Ten- Soccer's not a sport, because you don't have to be fit um, No, but the fitness, thing is, the, fit, the fitness thing is irrelevant to it. You're the one that brought the fitness up as it being a prerequisite for something being classified as a sport. Tennis right. is a sport. Okay. Football is kind so of a sport. Is, what classes as a sport in your mind? Well, what, what, no, you tell me what classes horse racing as a sport, fitness aside. Mm. It's a good question, isn't it? I've stumped you. I suppose it is a good question, then. I suppose if you look at it like that, then so football c- isn't a sport. Could Tennis you do me a favour, then, Richie, before we go, and I've enjoyed talking to you and hearing your fanfare, could you just say, uh, my name is Richie, I'm an ex-jockey, and horse racing is not a sport? No, of course I won't. Well, tell me why it's a sport, then. Ah. I, I got to reread it. I didn't quite believe oh, it. I don't know what that is. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots of uh, comments on the horse racing and the guns. Let's look at the horse racing first. 
Um, here's a text. Put your name on the text, you silly sausages. The primary point of horse racing is betting. Let's remove the gambling element from it and see how it survives. It wouldn't. Wouldn't. And Pete in uh, Milton Keynes says, This horse racing not being a sport. To me, it's the same as greyhound racing. They are not sports. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. And on the subject of, uh, would you be a gun grabber or a cash giver? If someone with a, a gun walks into your shop, would you do what this woman did uh, that's in the sun and grab the end of the gun? Or would you give them the money? Well, Judy says, be a live coward, not a dead hero. I'll have some of that, Judy. Oh, that's exactly where I'm coming from. The Helen says, any criminal that loads a gun prior to committing a crime intends to use it. If the gun was unloaded, its purpose is, is, is to frighten. Yeah, how do you know? You're going to ask them, is that loaded? No? Right, I'll take it off you. She goes on to say, I think if a child was at risk, I would grab the gun as my instinct would be to protect my child. 08459 455 555. Now, it's pretty reasonable to expect things like medical notes to be kept locked away somewhere, guarded by one of those terrifying doctor's secretaries. And yet a woman from Bedfordshire contacted us after her daughters were found, along with a bundle of other uh, others from various NHS trusts in a flat recently vacated by a locum doctor. Well, Milton Keynes General sent her a letter. I, I had to reread it. I didn't quite believe it at the beginning. <laughs> you know, we have um, she's under hospital care, so you know we we do get quite a few letters. So that I had to reread it several times, and I felt sick. I, I just I thought, who the, who the blooming heck is this guy? Um, who they've employed? Who they've now said they won't employ again and i doubt he'll be employed in in the uk again um so it's, it's just left me with, with too many questions who this, this guy was well dr mike smith chairs the patients association and joins me now good morning doctor pop in for a minute and i'll call you back oh that's justin Dealey. where doctor are you there yeah i am oh sorry, sorry i had the wrong in. i had the wrong fader we, we unfortunately <laughs> you got to hear justin Dealey. i can only apologize are you surprised by what's happened here well yeah he shouldn't have taken the uh, records out i mean that's clear and and that's um a disciplinary offense as we say but we do hear of records going missing often. And in fact, I'm sure there's going to be a big change in the way records are kept. I mean, the NHS director, Sabus Kio, is telling us that uh, next week he's going to be putting forward plans for how the social services, GPs, hospitals can all work more closely together to deal with the bulging um, population of elderly, which we are all fast becoming in this country, and the way in which we cope with it medically, which is at the moment too many of them, uh, from their point of view, the right thing to do, are going to A&E because they have no faith in out-of-hour services. So we are going to see a lot more sort of sharing of information. Now, the point I'm making is that why it's a terrible thing that records go missing, I don't think I I've ever read or heard of any of those records being made public we get a lot of publicity as we are now about records uh, being in the wrong place and and uh, you know um, it's wrong for this to happen but with a bit of luck uh, you don't hear any more about it you don't suddenly hear about mrs so-and-so's bad toenail or you know some sensitive aspect to deal with sexual medicine or whatever i, I haven't in my long long time in thinking and reading and listening to these things you're right, but it, it must feel uncomfortable for the patient oh, wh- wh- whose privacy could yeah. potentially have been 
absolutely ruined. no i couldn't agree more with that but what i'm saying is how how surprising it is that whenever i talk to anybody i say mm. right have you ever heard or read um or seen in the media anywhere any details about records because you hear of laptops being lost with thousands of records on not you know lost through a mistake or being nicked um either way that those records could be made public but fortunately they don't seem to have been done i'm i'm, I'm still asking people about this have you ever heard or read about such records other than them being lost do you think this is an example of of, of the pressure health employees are under to, to catch up with their paperwork well it could well be but even so it's 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 you know it's not it's not right they shouldn't take records out of the place that they are um increasingly and locally of course it's all on computer um but as you will know probably as well as i do and a lot of money was spent by the nhs in trying to get the computers to talk to each other nationally so that if you happen to be registered down in london and you happen to be up in blackpool and you get ill the people up in blackpool can't go on to your, to your doctor's records albeit from a position of confidentiality uh, because it doesn't work like that if i remember correctly that's that system was a complete disaster wasn't it it was yes they kept spending more money and spending more money and then finally they had to give it up and i can't remember what it was but it was i mean it's you know it's it's it, well it's more than lottery money it's vast sums uh, and finally doctor what what kind of um the, the, the treatment could this doctor get what what, what uh, trouble will he be in well i mean he's uh, as a locum he's obviously looking for employment and if word were to get around that this is what has happened the chances are he wouldn't be employed dr mike smith always uh, nice to talk to you thank you very much indeed he chairs the patients association across beds hearts and bucks this is ian lee bbc three counties radio Uh, right, uh, I'm going to Justin Dealey, who's got a shopkeeper with him. That's all I know about the next three minutes, Justin. Oh, Justin? Hello, Ian. Yes, w- what on earth is going on? Well, you've been talking about the story in the paper today of this lady who <sighs> incredibly grabbed this shotgun. This is what this refers to, yes. Mm. She grabbed the end of a sawn-off shotgun because she feared her seven-year-old would be in danger. I suspect and suggest that they were both in more danger by grabbing the end of the gun. Absolutely. W- would you do that? Not in the slightest. No. I would give him the money, I would salute him and bow and ask him what else he wanted. Absolutely. Well, I'm uh, with a shopkeeper here in Milson Keynes who doesn't wish to be named, but, madam, if somebody came into your shop and they had a, a shotgun with them what would you do would you grab that shotgun definitely seriously yeah definitely you're not risking your life though no at the end of the day i've been done over before and um took the police three quarters of an hour to come so no why should somebody come and steal from me when i've worked 15 hour days no i wouldn't so the police in your experience didn't look after you as the shopkeeper definitely not no three quarters of an hour to come one junction up a motorway no Controversial question. Would you consider having a shotgun in your shop in case somebody came in and tried to harm you and steal from you? Yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah. It's not the sort of thing I'd like to do, but in this day and age, definitely, yeah. Okay. Um, We're talking about this lady in the paper today who grabbed the shotgun. Do you think the majority of shopkeepers here and and right the way across Beds, Hearts and Bucks would do exactly the same as you? You wouldn't take that. You would grab that shotgun and do what you could to protect your shop. Yeah, definitely. I think I would. I don't know about anybody else, but I definitely would. You don't think you're crazy? No, at the end of the day, I'm protecting what's mine. Hmm. When you say you protect him, Ian's been talking about insurance. If somebody came in and they stole, I don't know, £1,000, surely you'd be insured, wouldn't you? Yeah, and then when you go to get insured next time, it's impossible. Don't want to know. 
So that argument goes out of the window. Yeah, it does, definitely. Yeah. Justin, this woman this woman sounds like a lovely woman. Her mm. life is far more important than a thousand quid or two hundred quid or whatever. Well, you know, Ian's saying that your life is far more important than a thousand pounds, but again, you would dispute that because you're talking about insurance claims going up, but then again, we're just talking about money at the end of the day, aren't we? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, money's not worth your life, but then... But you're saying you'd risk your life? No, yeah, I would actually, because at the end of the day, if someone came in with a shotgun, and we've had people come into a shop with sledgehammers before, in in a shop that I've owned, um, and they got away with all your money, and at the end of the day, if you don't do something about it and stand up for it, anyone can think they can do that. So what happened when these men came into your shop with sledgehammers? Were you there at the time? Yep. Yeah, and I would have gone down. Only I had a young son there at the time, and nothing would obviously would I let anything happen to my child. So um, that's when the police took three quarters of an hour to come. So based on that experience, then you're not having it anymore. No, I was really, really angry. You know, and I told the police I'd get a gun, and they said I wasn't allowed to. But I told them I would. I didn't. But at the at the time, and we had armed police coming to the village two or three times after that. I've just got to put one final question to you. Your family, who I'm sure love you to bits, um, they're probably listening to you right now. Um, How do they feel about this attitude that you've got, that that if somebody walked in, you would take on somebody who was armed? Um, They must be very concerned about you. Um, They know what I'm like. (laughs) Basically, they know what I'm like. No, I don't stand no crap. But what about them, though? Do you, do you not care about them if they were to lose you? Do you not think to yourself, well, what about my family? You know, I'm going to act in the heat of the moment and my family could lose me through my, some would say, stupidity. Well, I don't think it's stupidity. You've got to protect what's yours. At the end of the day, as things are now, people think they can just come and take what they like, whether it's from your shop or from a van or from a lorry, which was stolen the, um, yesterday. No, I think you've got, to, you've got to have a stand and say no more. Well, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much. There you go. Uh, the shopkeeper's perspective, Ian. Justin. Um, live across bed and bugs. Thank you very much for that. Do you think you'll be able to find your way back to the studios? You had a bit of trouble getting to the location this morning. Uh, well, yes, I got there in the end, though, thank you, and I thought I did a pretty good job for you. Next. <laughs> Cheeky. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Now, on a Friday, we like to end the show with a little bit of live music. Today is no different. Uh, we have... Oh, we've got one quick call. I do... Uh, Guido and gentlemen, I do apologise. Could you wait very quickly? Sure you sure you don't mind? I've set you up and then I've, I'm knocking you back down again. Fred's in Luton. Sorry, Fred, I forgot you were there. Oh, thank you. You're, good you're, morning. You're good morning. Would we, 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 you say hello to Guido and the boys? Well, it's something that's bugged what? me for years. What, what, what? Guido's bugged you? No. Oh, horse racing? No, motor racing. What? Oh, yes. It's all about flipping engineering. It is. Yeah. It's not a sport, is it? all about a sport. It is. It's all about science and petrol. Yeah. So th- what we should need to do is we'll, maybe we'll do this next week if we're really, really short of ideas. We will compile a list of sports that are not sports. Number one, horse racing. Number two, we'll put motor racing, shall we? I, yeah, that sort of thing it should be number one. <laughs> well, well, you'll have to fight me for it, Fred. And I'm, uh, let me just say, I've got a mean kick. Fred, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Guido and the Hellcats. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. So, Guido, you're, you, I like your guitar. Oh, thank you very It's much. kind of like a hollow-body, sort of 50s-style... Well, a rockabilly guitar, I guess, is, is, is what it is. Much. Well, that's what you're playing. Liam's on the bass. Hey. Nice to see you. And uh, Cameron, you're playing drums. OK. Uh, what, d- should we get straight into a song, and then we'll have a chat? What are you going to play for us first? For, uh, it's a little one I wrote called Love Circle. Away you go. Fantastic. <laughs> well done. Well done. And can I say, big well done to Cameron on the drums there, because I know that I, I got the impression from you two gentlemen, you were worried he might get a little bit... Crazy. You, hel- you held yourself back there, and that was good. Thank you. Well done. It sounded lovely. Greta, why are you playing this? Uh, uh, why are you playing rockabilly? You're a young man. 
Um, uh, it's it's an old man's music, isn't it? It is a bit of a granddad's music, yeah. So why did you? Why is it? Why does it attract you so much? Um, not really sure. I kind of got into a kind of nineteen eighties new wave, as you do. Yeah, of course, I can see the connection. And, yes. uh, and then I kind of heard the, sh- the founder Stray Cats, and it all just kind of went from there. You know? Yeah, the big hairspray turned into grease, and you look the part in. as well. Thank you. You're living much. the dream. How long have you been together as as, as a group? Been a Pro- probably around a, two months, a month. Oh, <laughs> is that it? That's fantastic. You sound great if you've only been together for a couple of months. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. And how did you meet these, these reprobates? Uh, we might as well uh, do a shout-out to Academy, Academy yeah. of Music. Yeah, go on. Um, we studied at the Academy of Music in uh, Hitchin. Um, we all just kind of met along there, so... And you kind of said, hey, listen, I like old-fashioned music. You like old-fashioned... You like... Let's do some old-fashioned music. That's exactly how it works. Pretty much, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I've got to say, d- 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 describe your guitar, because your guitar is absolutely stunning, isn't oh, it? Thank you very much. Uh, say, Washburn HP15, if that means anything to the guitar There'll notes. be a few geeks out there go- who are frothing at the mouth of that information. <laughs> it's uh, basically an ES125 copy. Um, it's a bit shoddy and does need a lot of work, bless it, but... They're the, be- they're the best ones. That, me- that means they've, they've been lived in. It's got the I- character. I treated myself to a 1967 Gretsch semi-hollow uh, body. It, it, it's dirty and it's expensive. And it's, it's a mess. The paint is all coming off. But that's what makes it wonderful, because it's been played and exactly, loved. that's the way to do it. <laughs> so you've only been together a couple of months. Are you doing many gigs or anything at the moment? Uh, no, this is actually our first performance. This is, an, this is an exclusive BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, I'm honoured. Listen, uh, if, if people want to f- follow you on... Uh, have you got Twitters and Facebooks and things? Where can they go? Uh, we haven't actually got a band page, but we have got our personal ones, if you want those. Yeah, go on, give us, one, give us them. Uh, I'm Guido Kenneth Margerson, so yep. probably the only one on Facebook. Yeah. I'm uh, Liam Porter on Facebook. And I'm Cam Howard. There we go. Well, get, get a, get a uh, band page set up on Facebook immediately. Let me, let me tell you, these social networks, I really think in the next few months they're going to take off. I think it's <laughs> going to be really useful for young bands like you to have them. OK, we've got time for one more song. I've warned you, I may have to silence you, but then you, you, every young band's dream, you become the travel bed oh. for Alice Glossop. That's what I've been waiting for. What <laughs> are you going to play, us, uh, play uh, to end the show? Uh, it's the first song I want to admit to writing. Uh, this is Salah V. Um, it's dedicated to my friend Rachel. We love this song, so... There you yeah. go. Well, yeah, let's have it. Excellent stuff. <laughs> if you go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR, you can see a video of that happening as it's happening live. That, the intro, that, that's, that's uh, Johnny Cash. That's, uh, that's uh, Johnny Cash uh, inf- influence. Johnny Cashy. <laughs> which is great. You can't go wrong with a bit of cash. Don't, you know, if you're going to have an influence, choose someone good to, to be influenced by. Never guess I'm a fan, would you, in the black suit? <laughs> <laughs> Who's not a fan of Johnny Cash? Those people don't deserve to have ears. No. What other stuff apart from Johnny Cash do you listen to? Um, I, I personally like a lot of rockabilly, 50s yep. rock and roll stuff. Uh, I probably should admit it on live air, but I absolutely love Kim Wilde as well. And oh, I hey, mean, man. Aha and everything. So anyway. you, can't, you can't go wrong with Aha. The Take On Me is one of the finest pop songs exactly. ever recorded. They kind of went downhill after that. My little claim to fame is having everything they released on vinyl, so... Hey! Well done, you. <laughs> well done. Listen, we are going to go to the travel now. You didn't, you, you didn't play that song long enough. Would you be up for doing us an instrumental version of that? We would definitely be For up. Alice Glossop to do the travel over. You'd be happy uh, with that. Alice, do you mind if you have a little bit of rockabilly underneath you? That sounds fantastic. You, you sure? Okay, right. They're, they're gonna, you start up, gentlemen. I'll come to you in a second, <laughs> Alice. Here we go. This is uh, um, yeah. Guido and the Hellcats. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Absolutely love it. Right, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll give you details of how you can find the podcast in a little bit, but first of all, let's go and get the latest travel news now. Here's Alice Glossop. Thanks very much. I'm Alice Glossop, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much indeed, Alice. Keep going, boys. You're playing us out now. 
Guido and the Hellcats you're listening to, they haven't got their own Facebook page. Don't any of you be naughty and go and grab it, for goodness sake. So we'll find out when they do set one up and uh, let you know when it is. A new podcast. What are you stopping for? Oh, what's that? <laughs> Keep going. You've got another 35 seconds of this nonsense yet, boys. For goodness sakes. Don't forget, a new podcast will be coming out later on today. You can go to the BBC Three Counties page and search for podcasts, or you can go to iTunes, type in Ian Lee, and it will pop up there. Right, that's it. That's your lot. JVS is up next. Until Monday at six o'clock, I'll see you then. Ta-ta. Local and vocal across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.